opportunity just to come together. We're going to share truth together. We thank you, God, for your word coming alive, that it's a rhema word. It's a living word. It comes alive inside of us. And God, when it does, it'll transform us, every one of us. So I thank you for grace and I thank you for truth. And just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come. Be our teacher. Be our guide. Show us, Lord, the things that we need to learn and help us, God, to gain understanding as we continue to pursue truth to the best of our ability. And Lord, it's just like our sister said, as as the truth comes, it's the truth that we know, the truth that we can understand that will set us free. So I pray, God, that there'll be a liberating move of your spirit today, God, that'll set us free and help us to understand our authority that we have through Christ. And God, I thank you for what you're doing. We're just excited about just seeing this thing explode in us. And God, we just invite you to come in an amazing way in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. You happy? Doing all right? Things are good, huh? I'm actually using my notes instead of Dan's today. Uh, (laughs) Okay. But I am happy. I'm excited about what God's doing. Yesterday, we were kind of ending up, we talked about a lot of different things, but I think we ended up somewhere along the line talking about how the spiritual world is much more real than the the physical world. It's been here longer. It'll be here long after this world's gone. Y'all know the the earth as we know it will melt like with a fervent heat, according to 2 Peter chapter 3. You know what I mean? So people talk about, we're going to be here... If I can get this thing right, there's a millennial rain that's going to last for a thousand years on this earth. And then the elements are going to melt with a fervent heat. There's a new Jerusalem and it's, it's all there. I won't get into all that. But, but what I'm going to tell you is that the spiritual world that's around us is absolutely phenomenal. It's absolutely amazing. And the world as a whole is very excited about spiritual things. You can, all kinds of TV shows deal with paranormal activity. You know what I mean? Um, you can watch and, I mean, come on, Harry Potter has swept this nation because the world's ex- interested in, call it whatever you want, there's spiritual things there. You know what I mean? And I don't know if y'all know this or not, but a lot of the stuff out of Harry Potter, I mean, some of the things that they do are right out of the witches and, and warlocks books and stuff like that. And I, I won't get into all that. I'll be honest with you, I've never read a Harry Potter book, never seen a Harry Potter movie. And if you have, shame on you. Okay, <laughs> but I'll leave that alone, okay? And you've got to let the Holy Spirit deal with your heart on that. But there's a place where, where there's an opening up to, to I'm going to use the phrase spiritual activity. You know what I mean? It, it began to sweep our nation a long time ago. Actually, uh, I, I really look back over that and think it all started with a, with a little girl that would wiggle her nose, you know, and we opened up avenues that began to invade our country in an amazing way. You had Bewitched, and then you had the little lady with the ponytail who went like this, and I Dream a Genie, and, and, and it, 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 was, it, seemed so, it seemed so innocent in those years. It was very subtle. We can go to Genesis chapter 3 and tell you the serpent was more subtle than all the beasts of the field. But you know what? The fact of the matter is there was a, there, there was a subtleness, and it was beginning to bring into our culture an element that has swept us in the demonic. So I'll talk to you about some of that because that's actually what's happened. Uh, you know, we, we, we invited that into our living rooms. We invited that into our homes through our television sets. Next thing you know, it's Charmed. How many remember Charmed? And so they put three very pretty ladies on so all the men in the country would watch, right? Come on, and it all happened that way. And the next thing you know, there's demons and angels and all kind of different things that are going on. And I can't remember all the different movies and all the different things, but it brought out an excitement or a, uh, if nothing else, for lack of a better phrase, it brought a an enticement to look into the spiritual world. The sad fact is, is that the church at large 
Doesn't even understand our position and all that. Today we're going to look at some things, and I'll, I'll try to walk you through some things that are a little different, maybe, maybe some things that we haven't really thought a whole lot about, okay? But you realize, if, if we don't realize anything else, I think we all realize there's a spiritual battle that's raging right now. There's a spiritual battle that's raging. And can I say this? God wants you and Satan wants you. It's good to be wanted. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. But the truth of the matter is God wants you and Satan wants you. And there, there's no doubt about it. And here's the deal. If we were to look at the first messianic promise, and I think most of you are familiar enough with it, we don't need to turn there, but in Genesis 3.15, uh, God's speaking to the serpent. He says, I'll put enmity between thee and the woman. What's he say after that? You remember? Between thy seed and her seed. Y'all know that, right? So there's seed that he's talking about. Now, I find it kind of interesting. He talked about a woman's seed. Because if you study Scripture, we're talking about the seed of Abraham, the seed of Jacob, the seed of Joseph. Wow, because it's the man who plants seed. And we won't get into all the graphics of that. I think you're okay. But the truth of the matter is, this is the only place ever where it talks about the seed of a woman. Why is that? Because a man in human form wouldn't be involved in this seed. Right? Holy Spirit is the one who plants Jesus in the womb of the woman. So when he talks about his, her seed, it doesn't say his seed, it says her seed. I'll put enmity between thee. It didn't say between thee and the man. It said between thee and the woman. You follow what I just said? Right? There's an interesting reason for all that, right? But then he says between thy seed and her seed. Do you understand that the mark of covenant, even with Abraham, the mark of covenant was where? At the point of the seed. Come on, every male was circumcised. You know, come on, think about that for a minute. It's at the point of the seed. There's a reason for that. Because from the, just, from the, from the very promise in Genesis, it was between, the, between, his, between her seed and your seed. The, the, the mark of covenant is at the point of the seed. It's on a man. And, and, and come on, if you're a man, wouldn't you much rather have a tattoo on your left shoulder? <laughs> There's a battle raging. Why is that? Because one of the very first promises, and there's a, there's a biblical phrase, if you study theology, there's a biblical phrase called the law of things first mentioned. Okay? The first mentioning of a seed is in Genesis chapter 1. What's it say? Every seed reproduces after its own kind. Every seed reproduces after its own kind. Right? If I plant a peach seed, what am I going to get? Peach tree. If I plant an apple seed, what am I going to get? An apple tree. Why? Because every seed reproduces after its own kind. It'd be a really strange day if you planted a peach seed and got a cherry tree. You'd be like, hey, what is up with this? Right? Because that would be strange. Why? Because every seed reproduces after its own kind. When he talks in Genesis chapter 3, he talks about the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. Why? Because every seed's reproducing after its own kind. What was the seed of the woman? What did that turn out to? That's Jesus. And that's what he's referring to is Jesus, right? And, and, and Jesus wants to reproduce himself in you. And then there's the seed of the serpent. Why? Because Satan wants to reproduce himself in you. So all the characteristics of Jesus are trying to come on you through the seed of, of Christ, the seed of the woman, which is Jesus. And all the characteristics of hell are trying to come on you through the seed of the serpent. Each one wants to reproduce himself in you. And that's what the battle's over. Who has dominion? Do you understand that? I mean, this is what it's all about. And this is what it's saying. So when I see this battle raging, every seed reproduces after his own kind. I got to understand something. See, Paul says... Uh, when he talks about that, he says, we're not ignorant of his devices. We know he's trying to reproduce himself in us. We know Satan wants us to look like him. We know Jesus wants us to look like him. 
It's up to you who you want to look like. For most of us, we could stand and say, I want to look like Jesus until I get really mad. <laughs> then we got that whole thing we try to justify. Well, he did overturn the tables in the temple. We get real spiritual over that. <laughs> side note, let me take a little sidebar. Do you know why he turned, overturned the tables in the temple? Because the money changers were stealing from the people. And what was happening was, when they came in to pay the temple tax, they couldn't use their foreign currency, so they had to change their money over with the money changers, and it was in the temple. And what they were doing was, if, if, if Anthony came to me, and he had, I'm just going to say, he brought his money from a foreign country, and he came in, he's got to pay temple tax, but he's got to use the Jerusalem, the, the Jerusalem coins, right? He brings his money, and I'm just going to pick, now watch this, okay? He brings me $100 of his money. I take his $100, and I exchange his money. I'm only giving him $80 worth of Jerusalem money. Where's the other 20 going. I had a drawer under the table that I was stashing for myself. When Jesus overthrew the tables, it was to expose the hidden drawers where the thievery was taking place. That's why Jesus said, my father's house is to be a house of prayer and you made it a den of thieves. And he exposed their thievery. That's what that's all about. That was worth coming for. If you don't get anything else today, you got that. Okay. <laughs> okay. But here's the deal. And I want you to catch this. Okay, in the process of all these things that are going on around us, what we got to understand is this, that there's a, there's a place where we know our enemy. We need to know our enemy. We need to know his devices. We need to know his, what, what kind of power he has. Where does he get it from? I'm going to walk you through some stuff today that we'll have some fun with. Okay, and, and I think it's going to be kind of neat. Okay, so let's go with this. I kind of baited you yesterday. I did that on purpose so you'd come back. Okay. <laughs> okay. But here's, here's where we're at. Okay. There's a widely held theology. Okay. God creates a beautiful, powerful angel named Lucifer. If you study, if I, if I said the Apocrypha, Okay, not the apocalypse is another name for revelation, but the apocrypha, the apocryphal books. There's 14 books between Matthew and Malachi called the apocrypha. Okay, they're not considered canonical, and I won't even get into all that. Uh, there's, some, there's some neat stuff in there. I've only done some perusing through it. I haven't really studied any of them, but there's first and second Maccabees that deals with the Maccabean revolution, which I think... If you're a Bible scholar, you should know about the, the Maccabean Revolution. It's the Seleucids and the Ptolemites, and there's a whole bunch of things in there, and I won't get into all that. There's, a, there's another book called Bell and the Dragon. There's a prophet named Tobit. I like the phrase Bell and the Dragon. Doesn't that sound like a neat book? Okay, but anyway, there's all kind of neat stuff in there. But one of the things it speaks about in there, and, and, and there's been some references, and, and Eusebius refers to, there were three archangels, and one was Lucifer, one was Michael, and the other is Raphael. Uh, Raphael wasn't just a teenage mutant ninja turtle, okay, <laughs> okay but, uh, but that's a whole other story. But we understand, we understand uh, if we can, that uh, there's a book of Enoch, I guess that's, and you'll find, if you do a lot of studying, they refer a lot to the book of Enoch, and that's an apocryphal book as well. Uh, but anyway, that's where Raphael's uh, spoken of quite a bit, but I won't get into all that right now. What I'm going to tell you is we understand Lucifer was an archangel, okay, now everybody's pretty okay with that, right? Okay, popular theology. I'm going to talk to you about popular theology, and I'm going to tell you what I feel like the Lord's speaking in my heart about. Popular theology, Lucifer was in heaven, a beautiful, powerful angel. He rebels against God. 
takes a third of the angels with him and tries to have a revolution and God casts them out of heaven. How many have heard that? Anybody not hear that? That's pretty common theology, right? Okay. I'm curious where we get that common theology from, and we'll talk about some of that in just a little while. But I want to walk you through some things, okay? So let's go to Isaiah chapter 14. How many know I'm going to mess with you today? That's my plan. I want to make you go, hmm, <laughs> okay? Watch this. this is good. We'll, have, we'll have a good time today. We're going to talk about some things. Isaiah 14, go with me there. I'm going to give you time to turn to some of these because I want you to be able to see it for yourself, and we'll talk about all this. And it's very open, so uh, if, you know, open for discussion. If you've got questions, raise your hand. If I can't answer them, we'll ignore you. Okay. <laughs> okay. And we'll roll. Okay. Isaiah 14, we're going to verse 12, okay? And you want to keep Isaiah 14, Mark, because we'll come back there in a little bit. So you want to maybe throw a marker in there or ear dog a page, whatever you need to do, okay? Uh, Isaiah 14 and 12. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which did weaken the nations? Everybody see that? Who's he talking about? O Lucifer, right? Okay. Now, he's, there's actually a reference here, and I'll get into that in just a little bit. And we'll talk, well, I'll kind of show you some things that, that you need to understand from Isaiah. Ezekiel calls him the anointed cherub that covereth. Right? We're going to look at that too. You might as well turn to Ezekiel 28. Keep Isaiah 14 marked. Okay? We're going to go to Ezekiel 28. Okay? It would seem that he even had musical instruments built into his body. That's kind of cool. How many of you know that? Have you ever seen that? Okay? Um, go to Ezekiel. Let's go to Ezekiel 28. Let's turn there. Okay? We're going to jump through a lot of, a lot of Scripture today. So, so just kind of keep with me. Keep your Bibles open. If you got it on your phone, keep your phone handy. Whatever it is that you're using. Uh, when they first put Bibles on phones, I'm preaching, watching all these people with their phones, thinking they're texting each other. They're not even listening to me. Okay? <laughs> then I realized, no, that's their phone. <laughs> Here's the deal. In Ezekiel 28, I want you to see this. is kind of cool. Okay? Let's look at verses 13, 14, and 15. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering, the sardius, topaz, and the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, and the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, and the carbuncle, and gold. The workmanship of thy tablets and of thy pipes was prepared in you in the day you were created. That's interesting. Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth. And I have set thee so. Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day that thou wast created. Till iniquity was found in thee. Everybody see that? Mm-hmm. The interesting scripture. We have to talk about all this, right? It said it was perfect till the day iniquity was found in him. You all right with that? How did iniquity get in him? We're going to talk about it. How did iniquity get in them? Okay, we have to look at this. We have to go, wait a minute. Because see, this is one of them things that a long, long time ago, this started messing with my head. Like, how'd that happen? Right? Because according to popular theology, there's some things that, 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 that didn't fit to me. Okay? Because we look at this. It says he was perfect. Lucifer becomes prideful. 
right? That's what we understand. Lucifer becomes prideful, turns into Satan, and rebels against God, right? He went from Lucifer to Satan. He was good, went bad, changed his name. How many remember Saul? Saul was bad, went good. What happened? Changed his name. Went the other way. Saul turns into Paul, right? And we don't know him as the apostle Saul. We know him as the apostle Paul. Like his name changed because he went from bad to good. Lucifer went from good to bad. Name changed. Lucifer, Satan. You all right with that? So this is the way we understand it. And we understand he got prideful and he rebels against God. And now he's cast out of heaven and he becomes Satan. Now that's the way we understand because that's what popular theology says. Okay. He rebels. He takes a third of the angels with him. Um, and he's cast down to the earth. Who's ever studied some of the, uh, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to throw a name of Genesis, Fra- Genesis Francis Dakes, Jennings Francis Dakes. Uh, who has a Dakes Bible? Anybody have a Dakes Bible? Dakes is a big proponent of the gap theory that there was uh, uh, thousands and mil- maybe even millions of years between day one and day two and day two and day three. Anybody ever hear of Charles Larkin who talks a lot about a pre-Adamite race? Anybody ever hear of a pre-Adamite race? Y'all, well, there was a race of people on the earth before Adam, okay? Because all those kind of things play into this as to different theories as to what all took place, okay? But I'm not real big on theories. I'm real big on the Word. So my thought is, see, here's what, I, I know that there's scientists out there, and there might be people on the Internet that aren't going to agree with me, but I know you will because you're in the room, Okay. <laughs> Okay, okay. But, but I, I'm just a real big proponent on the idea that God said, and the morning and the evening were the first, or the evening and the morning were the first day, and then the evening and the morning were the second day. And I actually believe the evening and the morning took 24 hours. I, I still think creation took six days, just like you and I know six days today. I, I'm pretty convinced of that. I do know the sun didn't rise and set on the first day or the second day or the third day because they wasn't even made till the fourth day. You all right with that? Light happens on day one. The sun don't happen till day four. That'll mess with your head. Okay. <laughs> okay. Come on. But it's true. Read your book. It's in the book. The sun, the moon, and the stars are all created on day four. But light and dark were separated on day one. Isn't that amazing? Things that make you go, hmm. <laughs> come on. But this is what, the, the, and I think we're pretty clear on where the light would come from. Come on, he is light. Yeah. Come on, and light was separated from darkness. Anyway, I want to walk you through this because this is what I'm looking at. It's kind of neat to me. If we can understand popular theology, um, there's a lot of stuff out there, but I'm going to tell you that it's supposition. A pre-Adamite race. Um, Hagee preaches on a pre-Adamite race. I've heard him talk about it a couple different times. And I thought, I don't know if I agree with that. But there's supposition out there. A race of people before Adam. That's what a pre-Adamite race would be. Y'all all right with that? Race of people before Adam. And, and there's some thought to that because when Cain kills Abel, right? He's banished to the land of Nod and there's a mark on his head. And what's he say? They'll kill me. Yep. Who? <laughs> you only had one brother and you killed him. <laughs> Come on. But there was more. There was more. Anyway, I, I believe Adam and Eve had wimp, sis, you know, there were sisters and other things happened. And of course, then Seth is the next born. And, and the world populates from there. You got to understand Adam lived to be what? 900, 950 years old, I think it was. Yeah. You know, oldest man in the Bible was who? Who knows? Come on. It was Methuselah. 969 years old. Right? That's pretty cool. You know what I mean? Adam lives a long time. Noah lives a long time. It's not until after the flood that man's years are shortened, and then it's to 120 years. Okay? And, and, and then and now we have a scripture that says the days of man are three score and ten. How much is three score and ten? A score is 20 years. So three score is 60 plus 10 is 70. And if by reason of strength they're added to them. Everybody okay with that? 
Boy, I'd love to talk to you about what I believe took place at the flood because everything changed at the flood. We'll talk about that. Maybe I'll, I think I have a day or two next week. Maybe we'll talk about that. Um, uh, I got excited. Never mind. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> okay. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> That's neat stuff too, by the way. That is really neat stuff because the earth was a hyperbaric chamber in the days of Adam. Uh, if anybody know what a hyperbaric chamber is? Yeah, the whole earth was a hyperbaric chamber. There was another, uh, there was another layer in the stratosphere. We'll talk about that. I'll, we'll, we'll, bring that we'll bring that out later. Because the flood is when that, that outside chamber of water just... just oh. and, that. Absolutely, didn't need to. Yeah. In a hyperbaric chamber, you could actually run from here to Pittsburgh and not get tired. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty cool because of the oxygenation of the planet, which is why it didn't need to rain. Everything came up from the ground. We'll talk, save it for a couple of days. Okay, okay, we'll get to all that. Ken Ham, incredible teacher on that stuff. Uh, I can't give you a scripture in a verse. I can tell you. Who, she's asking me about when does it say the days being shortened. The scripture says the days of man are three score and ten. Somebody could look that up. I don't know it off heart. I, I know the scripture says the days of man are three score and ten. And if by reason of strength days are added unto him. Uh, but there's, I, I can't give you the chapter and verse. I can tell you it's a, it's a direct quote. We'll look it up later. Okay. Let's go with where we're at now because I can really get off on a tangent. I'm sorry. Okay. Here's what we know. Lucifer was a high ranking angel. Would anybody disagree with that? Everybody would agree Lucifer was a high-ranking angel. We know that over and over. We see scripture on that. We understand that. And there is a hierarchy of angels. Everybody okay with that? I mean, there's, there's, there's all kind of different angels. The Bible talks about a lot of different things. But here's what I want to tell you. Go to Hebrews chapter 1. Because if we can understand what took place in the fall of Lucifer, we might be able to understand it by looking at everything we possibly can about angels and whatever. Okay? So go to Hebrews chapter 1. And let's check it out because it's kind of fun. I'm having a good time today. Okay. Let's go to verses 13 and 14. Okay. So go to Hebrews chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 13 and 14. I'll give you a minute to turn there. Okay. If you're looking for it, it's on page 228. (laughs) Left hand column at the top. Okay. (laughs) In my Bible. (laughs) Okay. Hebrews 1. Okay. We're looking at verses 13 and 14. I want you to check this out. But to which of the angels said he at any time, sit on my right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstool? Okay, I'm going to stop right there. I'll get into 14 in just a second. But please understand this. When you're studying the book of Hebrews, here's a good rule of thumb. You realize all, every book of the Bible has a theme. The theme to Hebrews is Jesus is better. You can write that down. Jesus is better. Okay. What he's going to start out with in the first couple of chapters, Jesus is better than angels. Then he's going to say Jesus is better than Moses. Then he's going to say Jesus is better than the law. Over and over, what he's bringing out is Jesus is better. This was good. Jesus is better, right? Angels are good, but Jesus is better. That's what he's about to say right here, okay? And the whole theme of the book of Hebrews is Jesus is better. You all right with that? Now watch this. It's kind of cool. To which of the angels said he at any time, sit on my right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstool? Are they not all ministering spirits what's the word all mean there all All. it means all (laughs) all means everyone are they not all ministering spirits what do they do sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation okay so who's the heirs of salvation men so what it just say is are they not all to be ministers to mankind they're sent to be ministers to us 
I'll throw a statement out here now and start to get the wheels turning. But I firmly believe God didn't send Lucifer to tempt Adam and Eve to see how they would do. That'd be like letting your three-year-old play in a bear cage at the zoo. You understand what I just said? We take kids from parents like that. We call that child abuse. I don't think God's a child abuser. I, I, don't think, I, I don't think that had anything to do with what was going on there, okay? I'm going to propose to you this. According to Hebrews chapter 1, they're all ministering spirits sent forth to minister to the heirs of salvation. I believe that God sent Lucifer, the angel, to minister to Adam and Eve in the garden. He was on a divine mission. He hadn't rebelled yet. And once he got there, it was in the garden that he transgressed. You understand what I just said? I'm going to send your wheel spinning. Here's why I say that. I'm studying this over the years, and I'm thinking, because popular theology tells me that Satan rebels in heaven. I'm thinking, why? They said, because he's prideful. When I look at that and think, okay, they're saying he's prideful. How did pride get into heaven? Come on, how's pride get into heaven? Pride can't get, what, snuck in on God? (laughs) Come on. It didn't ever fit for me. I couldn't figure out how pride was going to get into heaven. And I thought, how does this happen? How does Satan rebel in heaven and and take a third of the angels in heaven? And I'm trying to think, how in the world did this happen? I believe, according to Hebrews chapter 1, they're all ministering spirits sent forth to minister to the heirs of salvation. All means all. And every time you read the word all in the Bible, it actually translates all. That's an interesting thought, okay? But when he says they all are ministering spirits sent forth to minister to the heirs of salvation, I believe that Lucifer was on a divine mission from God here to minister to Adam and Eve, okay? And we're going to take a look at this because I'll start talking about it now. Isaiah, once he got here, once, once Lucifer gets here, he saw something that he wanted, And things began to shift, and I'll show you that. Watch this. Let's walk through this. In Isaiah 14 and in Ezekiel 28, both of those, okay, God gives us insight. Both passages begin by the prophet addressing a person. Isaiah is actually addressing the king of Babylon, okay? And Ezekiel is actually addressing the king of Tyrus. Now, if you read the whole chapter, you'll understand that. But that's exactly right. Isaiah is addressing the king of Babylon, and Ezekiel is addressing the king of Tyrus. Okay? And in that, the narrative then turns and addresses the demonic power behind them. I'll show you Jesus does it in the same way. Okay? Who's ever read in Matthew chapter 16? Um... Jesus says, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Peter jumps up and says, what? You're the Christ. You're the Son of the living God. Jesus said, that's amazing. You're amazing, Peter. Flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but my Father, which is in heaven, has revealed it to you. I'm going to call you Peter, and upon this rock, I'm going to build my church, and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. Everybody knows that verse, right? That's pretty amazing stuff. Now watch this, because in the next chapter, if you read, Jesus is saying, I'm going to Jerusalem, and I'm going to be delivered into the hands of sinful men, and they're going to crucify me, but on the third day, I'm going to raise again. And what's Peter say? No way! You're not doing that! There's no way! I'm not even going to let that happen! What was the next words out of Jesus' mouth? Get thee behind me, Satan. Who was he talking to? He wasn't necessarily addressing Peter, it was the demonic influence that was influencing Peter. 
When we're reading this, he's talking to the king in, in the same essence. Isaiah is addressing the king of Babylon and then turns and addresses the demonic influence over the king of Babylon. And the same thing, Ezekiel is addressing the king of Tyrus, but then turns and addresses the demonic influence that's influencing the king of Tyrus. Because both of them were very demonically influenced. And that's what the narrative here is bringing out. He's coming straight against the powers of hell that are controlling and manipulating these kings. Everybody see that? That's strong to me. Okay? So what we're seeing, let's go back to Ezekiel 28. Okay? Because I want to look at verses 13, 14, and 15 again. We're going to read this. Okay? Yeah, 13, 14, and 15 is what we're going to look at right now. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Who? Satan. Every precious, it was actually Lucifer at this point, because he's talking to him. He's in a sinless state here. Every precious stone was thy covering, the sardius, topaz, diamond, barrel, onyx, jasper, sapphire, emerald, carbuncle, gold, the workmanship of the tablets of thy pipes was prepared in thee in the day that thou was created. I don't know. Do you ever get a picture of this? Are you visual? Are a lot of you visual? Because I can't read anything without getting pictures. I get word pictures in my head all the time. I'm reading, I see pictures. I ate crayons when I was a kid. They're in color now, okay? <laughs> so it just works for me, okay? But, but here's the deal, okay? All these, I'm picturing this angel, and, and there's, uh, there's pipes coming out and, and different horns, and I don't know. It just, it, it really, it's amazing to me. And I read this stuff and think it's awesome. It was created, prepared in thee in the day that thou was created. Thou art the anointed cherub that covers. And I have set thee so. Do you understand that? This is God speaking. You're the anointed cherub that covers. I've set thee so. That's amazing to me. It speaks volumes to me. Now watch the next thing that he says. Okay? You have walked upon the holy mountain of God. You have walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. You were perfect in your ways from the day that you were created till this fall. Do you understand that? That's amazing to me. I read that. He's describing Satan in a sinless state. But Lucifer transgresses God in the Garden of Eden, enters in the snake, and uses that to tempt Eve. That's amazing to me. I'm going to walk you through this for just a minute. Lucifer had limited power. I believe that he saw Adam and Eve with what I would call unconditional authority. And that's the power that he wanted. Do you understand what I just said? They had unconditional authority. See, in Genesis chapter 1, you can turn there. It's verses 26, 27, and 28. But most of you know the narrative. Let us make man in our own image and after our own likeness. What's the next thing he says? Let them have dominion over all the power of the earth. Come on, over, over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, o, o, over all the earth. I think it says exactly that. I think it says over all the earth, right? Genesis 1, 20, breath's going to be about 27, okay? So God created, oh, okay, it says doing 26, okay? Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, over the cattle, and over what? All the earth. It's right there, over all the earth, okay? And over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth, okay? So you have power over creeps. This is good, Okay. <laughs> God created man in his own image. In the image of God created him, male and female created him. And God blessed them, said to them, be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth, and subdue it. Watch this. And have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, over every living thing that moves upon the earth. Right? Said in verse 26, and then repeats it again in verse 28. you got power over all the earth. That's amazing. 
man had unconditional authority. Were there conditions put on this? Was there, was there limitations? It's unconditional, okay? So I see that there's no restriction. Man's given dominion. Did that come from God? Did God say that? Okay, write this verse down. I'm not going to turn to it. I'm just going to quote it, but it's Psalms 89. It's verse 34. Psalm 89, verse 34. Very powerful verse, by the way. And here's what God says. My covenant will I not break, nor alter the thing that has gone out of my lips. My covenant will I not break, nor alter the thing that has gone out of my lips. That's a King James quote, but I'm going to tell you something. That's a very powerful thing, because what God said is once I've spoken it, it's established forever. That is a place to go, yay. See, the Bible says God's not a man that he should lie. Come on. If God says it, it's the way it is. So he says, let man have dominion over all the earth. Everybody get that? Don't miss that because that's an incredibly powerful statement. God said, once I establish something, it's established forever. His word's settled forever. If God says it, it's it. How many ever saw the little stickers? We had them a long time ago. We made shirts with them and everything. God said it. I believe it. And that settles it. Yep. That's crazy. Here's why. Whether you believe it or not, it's settled. So you don't even need the middle of that. God said it. That settles it. Whether you believe it or not is not going to change whether it's settled. (laughs) Okay. The fact of the matter is whatever God has said is now established. That's what Psalms tells us right there in Psalms 89. It's verse 34. Don't miss that. That's a very powerful thing. But what he's saying is, if I said it, it's established forever. Whatever's gone forth out of my lips. He says, my covenant, I'm not going to break. Did God make a covenant? Did God make a promise? Did God say what he was going to do? I won't alter the thing that's gone out of my lips. So God has established a divine order in this. You got that? There's an amazing truth to this. And once we get this, when we see what God's established, we got to understand it'll never, ever, 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 ever change. You just got to know that. Circumstances will change. The world will change. Even the world's view might change, but God's word won't change. It's unchanging. It's settled forever. So God said they're going to have dominion. Okay, now watch this because we'll walk through some of this. So he gives man power and authority over the earth. Who knows Psalms 115 verse 16? It's it's very, very similar. It tells us the exact same thing. It doesn't tell us about the covenant, but here's what it says. The heaven, even the heavens belong unto thee, O Lord, but the earth has he given to the sons of men or the children of men. Isn't that amazing? Watch what it said. I'm going to say it again. The heaven, even the heavens belong unto thee, O Lord, but the earth... Has he given to the children of men? 115 verse 16. If that's not an exact quote, that's so close it's good enough. Okay. (laughs) Okay. The heaven, even the heavens belong unto thee, O Lord. But the earth has he given to the sons of men. You okay with that? You have a thought? Yeah. Um, Do we need the microphone? Do we do it? I'll I'll give you mine. Um. Sorry. <laughs> Here's the thought. Um, no, okay, okay. Go ahead, uh, did the fall of man take away our authority or our dominion? Okay. We're, she just asked me, she said, did the fall of man take away our dominion or our authority? Y'all get that? Okay. Absolutely. And we're going to talk about that. Okay. Because it, it, can I do this? I'm, I'm going to jump way ahead of myself and tell you. If I had to sum up the ministry of Jesus Christ on the earth in one word. I could do it. Restoration. Restoration would be the word. Because he came to restore everything that Adam lost. Everything that Adam lost, Jesus came to restore. 
Okay? And we got it in 1 Corinthians 15. There's the first Adam and the second Adam. The first Adam blew it. The first Adam lost it. So the second Adam came to restore it. That's what Taylor's bringing out. It's an amazing thought. So her mind's already tracking. That's good. Let's follow this, okay? Because I want to go this a little farther. Man's authority and power. And this is it. It's Psalm 115, verse 16. The heaven, even the heavens, belong unto thee, O Lord. But the earth has he given to the sons of men. Why? Because he said, let them have dominion. See, I think Satan saw that kind of power and authority over the earth. So he recognized his opportunity. Isaiah shows us the process. Let's jump back to Isaiah. We're going to follow through with this. Go back to Isaiah 14. Remember I said we were coming back to that? I don't lie either. (laughs) Okay. So let's go to Isaiah chapter 14. Pretty neat stuff right here. Let's start again about verse 12. How art thou fallen? From heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning, how art thou cut down to the ground, which did weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I'll exalt my throne above the stars of God. I'll sit upon the mountain of the congregation in the sides of the north. I'll ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Everybody see that? I will, I will. I will ascend into heaven. I'll exalt my throne. I'll sit upon the mountain of the congregation. I'll ascend to the heights of the cloud. I'll be like the most high. Anybody see that? Let me tell you something. That spirit still is in the church. I'll leave that alone. That's another message for another day. But I'll tell you something. There's this thing that's so straight from hell. Let me go here. Lucifer envied God. He wanted God's position, but he couldn't just take it. How would he take God's position? If he used, if he'd rebelled with the power he'd been given, well, God could take that away. But God had given Adam and Eve something that he didn't give to the angels. Unconditional authority. Remember that he established it when he said it. Let them have dominion. If God would have said, let us make man in our own image after our own likeness, and let us have dominion. Then man would have just been included in the us. But he didn't say let us. He said let them have dominion over all the earth. Everybody get it? Does God have dominion over the earth or does man? Does it say that in the Bible? And it must be right. One of the great tragedies that we have in the body of Christ and even on the world at large is that oftentimes we have a really, really skewed view of the sovereignty of God. Everything that happens was God's choice. Come on, 14-year-old boy gets run over by a car. Well, God must have needed another angel in heaven. That's how twisted we get. Because we say, well, you know, God made a sovereign choice. It's almost like he was sitting at this big desk in heaven and made an executive decision, said, okay, let's take this one, ding. And that's not so. I was at a funeral. I did a funeral for a young man, and I, and I love the family. The family is an amazing family. The young man was a daredevil. I mean, he was, he was like 19 or 20 years old. He had a couple of kids already, and he, he had the real need for speed. He's driving a motorcycle. He's going about 120 miles an hour, and he lost control of the thing and hit a tree. And the family is in the funeral home saying, well, you know, God knows best, and God made it, you know, God, they used that same, God needed another angel in heaven, and there was all this kind of blaming, and they were projecting on God, and it got to the point where I had to start the funeral out like this. Listen, I want to set the record straight. God had absolutely nothing to do with your son's death. It was his choice. Everybody follow what I just said? 
He made a choice to go 120 miles an hour. And in that choice, sometimes we live and die by the choices we make. And this was a choice he made and he died by. Y'all follow what I just said? Let's not, let's not project that on God. But we've got twisted with the whole sovereignty issue, the sovereignty of God. The fact of the matter is, most of the stuff that goes on in our life has nothing to do with God. A lot of it, can I say this? A lot of it is demonically influenced, but we still make choices that bring about ramifications. So when I read this verse, and I think it's a very powerful verse, but watch this, because I want to walk through some things with this, okay? Lucifer, he, he sees something that Adam and Eve have. It's unconditional authority over all the earth. Lucifer saw it, and if he could get Adam and Eve to yield that kind of power to him, and they would rebel against God, yielding their power, they would yield their power over to him. Why do you say that? Go to Romans chapter 6. I want you to see verse 16. I told you, we're going to chase a lot of scripture today. But if we're going to understand, the, we, we got to, uh, everything I say, we're going to back by the book, okay? So if we can look through the book and get the scriptures right, we'll understand this. Romans 6, verse, six, verse 16, okay? Powerful verse. Watch what he says, okay? In verse 16, know ye not that to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey his servants you are to whom you obey everybody see it now satan tempts eve we know the story there's nobody in this room that doesn't know the story if you're watching by the internet you should know the story (laughs) here's the way it is and this is just really powerful to me if you yield yourself to obey you become the servant to whom you yield yourself to obey they yield to God, they become the servants of God. But when they yielded to the enemy, whose servants did they become? The enemy's servants. Does it say that? It's a spiritual law. He said, well, Paul didn't write that till now. Paul wrote a spiritual law that had been present from the very beginning. It wasn't recorded until then, but it's been present from the very beginning. So it's a spiritual law. And when we understand spiritual laws, we understand that there, there, there are some biblical, biblical principles are eternal principles. Okay? So watch this because I think it's cool. Satan knew he couldn't overpower God, but he saw God gave Adam and Eve this unconditional authority because he said, let them have dominion. Right? So now if they yield to me, what's he thinking? Now I'm going to have the authority that they have. Does it make sense? follow this, okay, because it really all fits. So if Adam and Eve of their own free will yield to Satan, they would transfer their authority to him. Now, God, as the creator, could have come down and just wiped them all out and started over, except for one problem. He'd had to violate his own heart to do that. God already had said, let them have dominion. What was he saying? It's their choice. Do you understand that? It would have been a violation of what he had already said, what he had already established. To intervene would have been to violate his word. So he'd given this dominion to Adam and Eve. He gave power and authority to rule over this world to physical human beings. Am I right or not? Come on. So here's where we're at. To intervene, he'd be violating his word. Okay? God had to stand by what he said. He said, you have dominion. All right? So he'd given to Adam and Eve their freedom. If they want to yield their authority to Satan, it was technically their right to do so. And that's what they did. It would have been a violation for God to wipe out Satan and then tell Adam and Eve, don't ever do this again. <laughs> okay? But the truth of the matter was they had a choice to make. How many understand? We have, how many of us have prayed prayers that if the prayer was answered, God would have almost had to take away the free will, the one we were praying for? 
Can I talk to you real straight? I had, a, I had a friend of mine that was going through a divorce. Him and I were very, very close. He was going through a divorce. It was a very tough place in his life. A lot, a lot of tears, a lot of, a lot of pain, a lot of hurt. And he was praying and praying that God would change his wife's heart. And he would pray, his phrase, buckets of tears. But her heart wouldn't change, and he started getting mad at God. And pretty soon he was projecting on God's word, and it works for you, but it doesn't work for me. And, 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 and he was so frustrated and hurt. And I began explaining to him, do you understand that the Holy Spirit will thump her heart? But it's up to her with what she does with that. God can't make her change her mind. Because if he, takes, if he does that, he takes away her free will. So if he takes away her free will, he's got to take away Jennifer's free will. He's got to take away Trisha's free will. He's got to take away Kira's free will. He's got to take away Taylor's free will. He's got to take away my free will and your free will. Because he's no respecter of persons. But I'm pretty confident that God doesn't take away our free will. Are you pretty confident God doesn't take away your free will? Do you have the right to choose? And you know what? That's our privilege. Now, the fact of the matter is, I've often thought about it, even talked to God and said, God, why don't you just take away all of our free will and we'll do a lot better. <laughs> but he didn't come down and ask my opinion. <laughs> but the fact of the matter is, is that there's free will and that's always going to be the case. Adam and Eve had a choice to make and they chose poorly. Everybody okay with that, right? Watch him. We'll walk through some more stuff. Okay. God has spoken a word. He had to be faithful to it. They had a choice. They made it. God honored that choice. Do you understand that we were created to be the absolute rulers of the earth? Isn't that amazing? That's amazing. But mankind handed over their dominion and power and authority to Lucifer. See, what I would propose to you, if I could give you a statement, I'd tell it to you this way. God created Lucifer, but mankind created Satan. That's pretty deep. Do you understand what I just said? God created Lucifer as a very powerful angel. But mankind handed over their authority, making him Satan. That's a pretty strong word right there. So walk through this with me. Because I want to talk to you about a whole bunch of this stuff. Okay? Adam and Eve hands over their authority. Do you understand the word authority? Authority is not power. Authority is the right to use power. Do you understand what I just said? Yep. Because if a policeman stops me, they have authority. Now, I might have power. Maybe I have a gun and they have a gun. Here's the difference. If I use my gun, I'm in trouble. If they use their gun, they're doing their job. Why? Because they have the authority to use their gun. Does that make sense? Authority is simply the right to use power. And what Adam and Eve did was they gave away their authority. So when they gave over their authority, here's what happens now. It creates havoc, okay? They gave over their authority. They gave over the right to use the power. Satan has power when we yield our authority to him. Do you realize how many times we cooperate with the enemy? Come on. Sometimes we start to cooperate with the enemy when we make decisions that are contrary to God. I mean, the truth of the matter is anger. You get angry. You know what you're doing? You're cooperating with the devil. You don't know how many people told me, well, I'm, I'm just angry. It's just the way God made me. How stupid is that? But I've had a lot of people say, that's just the way God made me. I said, you're kidding me, right? You really want me to believe that? Look at me. Do I, do I have stupid written on my forehead? Do you really think I'm going to believe that? <laughs> 
We get angry because we make a choice and we come in cooperation with the devil. We, get, we, we can get frustrated and, and hurt and all kinds of things. And you know what we're doing? We're really yielding to the authority of the enemy. And, and I think about that because you can go down a whole bunch of things. Fear. Fear is just coming in cooperation with the devil. Do you understand that? You're, when you're walking in fear, it's because you've cooperated with the devil. Okay? Um, Trish, you had a question. Go ahead. Well, here's the question, because I know in the Word it even says that, you know, that, that God got angry at times. Okay. So all anger is wrong? Okay. Here's the deal. She said God got angry. Tell me when you, where you see God got angry. Well, there's a lot of, you know, in the Old Testament where it talks about God's anger. Okay. Um, is she right? Is there times when God got angry? Absolutely. Okay. And there is, right? Um, scripture verse. Here. Ephesians 4 and 26. Somebody turn to that. I could quote it, but turn to it. Ephesians 4 and 26. It fits really well with the question that, that Trisha brings to the floor. Is all anger sin? I'll bet it's not. Here's why I'll bet it's not. Because Ephesians 4 and 26, if you get to it, I'm going to give you a second, but you start to read it, and the first part of the phrase is real simple. Be angry and sin not. Okay? So you must be able to anger and be angry and not sin, because he wouldn't say be angry and sin not, unless you could be angry without sinning. I am such a theologian. <laughs> Listen, it's simple. Be angry and sin not. How can you be angry and not sin? It's pretty simple. Anger becomes a sin when it controls you. You can be angry and sin not by you controlling your anger, not letting your anger control you. Are there things that make you angry? Can you be angry at the devil? Because I'm pretty angry at the devil. I got some friends that were doing really, really good that aren't doing really good anymore. And you know why? Because hell intervened in their life. Now, did they make the choice to let that happen? Absolutely. Absolutely. But at the same time, here's what's happening is you can be angry at the devil. That's not a sin. You can be angry at what the devil's doing, and that's not a sin. I think you can be angry at sin. God was angry at sin, Tricia. He was angry at the sin that the people were doing. Hey, that'll preach. <laughs> I'm okay. I think it's going to stay. I won't touch it. Um, here's the deal. <laughs> um, and the deal of it is, and I'm going to talk to you about this, okay? I, we come in cooperation with the devil a lot of times because we allow him to manipulate and control us. And that's exactly what Adam and Eve did. They were manipulated and controlled by the devil. You go, go I can tell you something. Sometimes we come into cooperation with that through depression. There's a lot of depressed people out there. And I really believe that depression is because we're starting to agree with what the devil's saying rather than agreeing with what God's saying. You've got to change the way you think. You've got to change the way you see things. You've got to change all those kind of things about us. If we will look at things differently, okay, I don't think we'd be depressed. But, and I know people talk about there's a chemical imbalance and all kind of different things. But I think that sometimes in our life, what happens is we're just coming into agreement because the devil's speaking into our ear, and we've come into agreement with him. Now what we're doing is we're giving him authority in even our own lives, and we don't realize it. Let me get this one right here first. Go ahead, Patty. I hope I understand. I'm, I'm not sure I understand this. This is why I'm asking. Go ahead. 
Okay, um, so the angels, okay, Lucifer, he was sent to earth, earth to minister actually to Adam and Eve. Well, I actually believe that because Hebrews 1 and 14 says, are they not all ministering spirits right, so sent forth? Right, right, exactly. Okay, mm-hmm. um, so at that time, he was, he was still a good angel. I think he was on a divine mission to minister to, right. the, to Adam and Eve. Okay, Absolutely. and uh, then he seen, you know, he wanted what God had, so he intervened there with Adam and Eve. I can't take it from God, but I bet I can get it from them if they'll give it to me. My question is this. Mm-hmm. At that point in time, Lucifer was still good. Why did uh, God say you can eat of anything in the garden except for this tree? If they were good and he was good, why would they even consider eating? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If Lucifer was still good. Right. And where was evil at? Right? Because as far as I would know, in heaven there was no evil. Right, right. Would you be okay with that to believe that in heaven there would be no evil? Right? But now on earth there's a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Why? Because evil is the absence of good. Actually, evil didn't even exist. Do you understand that darkness does not exist? You say, well, I see darkness every day. Darkness doesn't exist. Darkness is simply the absence of light. Do you understand that? Darkness, and you can follow that. As a matter of fact, you did, I don't know, high-level college courses will tell you that there's, there's just, darkness is the absence of light. Cold doesn't exist. Cold is the absence of heat. Do you understand what I just said? Heat's, do you got what I just said? Cold is the absence of heat. Darkness is the absence of light. Evil is the absence of good. When good's not present, evil. You understand? Okay, so watch this. In the midst of that, the, the, the thought is, is that there's something that absolutely would have gripped into, that there had to be a presence of that because if the enemy, if Satan wanted something that he didn't have, he now is pursuing that in an evil way, right? Because Genesis chapter 3, now the serpent was more subtle than all the beasts of the field right? And, and, and so now in a form of deception, he goes and deceives Eve into giving her, or giving him rather, her authority. Y'all follow that, right? Genesis chapter 3. So we follow through with that. So what we got now is that there's a deception that's going to take place, and the opportunity came from that, from that tree. Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, okay? So what I believe was happening there is this. God made us as a free moral agent, Everyone, this is what I was talking about. He gave us all the right to choose. He gives Adam and Eve the right to choose. He gives you and I the right to choose. And over and over, we have to make choices. Here's why. God doesn't want a bunch of robots that are going to follow him because they're programmed to. He wants us to make the choice to. Every one of us gets to make the choice. So even with Adam and Eve, the very first people on the planet, right? God created them. But he gave them a choice. Had to be a choice somewhere. Do you understand that? Because every one of us is given a choice as well. Adam and Eve, it amazes me when I think about, well, do you ever wonder what life was like in the garden before they ate that tree? Oh my gosh. I start to think about some of that stuff and wonder what was it like. Who's ever been, any of you guys been to Sight and Sound in Lancaster? And they saw, there was, what was the one called? It was just, it was, it was, 
in the beginning. That was amazing. I'm watching that. Uh, one of my favorite pictures, and Jesus is playing in the garden with Adam, and they're just running through the tree. I love that because that, that stuff messes with my head. I wonder what it was like. I think it's really, really cool. And they just, you know, and, and they're just frolicking in the garden and running around and laughing and carrying on. And I think it's so amazing. Adam and Eve, and they messed that up. That really gets to me. Yet how many of us have had amazing encounters with God and then walked out there and messed up? And you wonder, how in the world can that happen? But it does. And we still have the right to choose. Do you ever wonder, do you ever think, boy, I'm going to talk to Eve when I see her in heaven? <laughs> Especially you ladies who have had kids, right? <laughs> okay, yeah. Yeah, it's like, oh, give her a piece of my mind. Okay, you know what I mean? Yeah. My mom used to say, well, they wouldn't even know you from Adam. You know, <laughs> that's, a, that's an old phrase, right? They wouldn't know you from Adam. I always used to say, uh-huh, Adam's the one with no belly button. <laughs> Another thought altogether. <laughs> okay. You can think about that a minute. <laughs> okay, okay. But here's the deal. Adam and Eve had to have the same choice that every one of us get to make, the right to choose. So there's one tree in the midst of the garden. And they choose poorly. That is sad, isn't it? <laughs> Rachel, you had a question. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Um, I was just thinking, as you were saying about the right to choose, where it says, I don't remember exactly, but in the New Testament, it talks about um, being preordained and chosen and stuff, and then, but that he knows who's going to choose. Don't get twisted on that. There's, okay. a, th there's a theology out there that is really, really twisted, okay. and it would, be, it would be considered like unconditional election, okay? Um, here's the deal. God has perfect knowledge, Okay? So there are things, whenever he talks about predestination, like we'll use the word predestination, when God talks about predestination, he's not talking about an individual, he's talking about mankind as a race. Humanity as a whole is predestined to reach certain things. God has a calendar. How many know God has a calendar? Does God know when he's coming back? You better believe he does. Now, the scripture says this, and I think it's kind of interesting in Matthew 24, no man knoweth. Not even the Son of Man, but the Father only. It's talking about Jesus and his humanity, and we'll talk about some of that today. But in, 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 God, he stands outside of time. Does that make sense? Like when you read Genesis 1 and 1, I don't know if that messes with your head in a big way, but it says, in the beginning, God. When? <laughs> when? In the beginning. Okay, but when did God start? He was in the beginning. And, and that messes with me because I'm a finite creation, so I have a finite mind. I can't picture having no beginning. I've got some kind of concept about having no end, but I don't have any concept about no beginning. Like, how do you have no beginning? Everything that we can perceive, everything that we can understand, everything that we've ever even took a note of had a beginning somewhere <laughs> except God. <laughs> now, that has to mess with your head. But we're a finite creation, so we can't understand an infinite God. It's amazing to me. It's fun. It's actually fun to me to, to just... See, I don't know how you live. I live in the realm of mystery. I love the phrase, the mystery of the gospel. Paul talks about the mystery of the gospel. See, to me, there's a lot of stuff that's a mystery I just don't understand. 
And then what I find is I live with more questions than answers. And I'm okay with that. Because every time I get an answer, it usually raises two more questions. <laughs> okay? And it's true. But it's a continual pursuit. We're ever learning. We're ever growing. We're ever increasing. I'm going to tell you something. The very best of us has only scratched the surface. That's fun to me, because that tells me there's so many jewels. There's so much more. God has so many amazing things, and that to me is the exciting thing. And I don't know where you live, but I live in the realm of if it's there, let's go after it. Let's dig for it. Let's find this stuff. And what I found, and can I talk to you? What I found, remember I was talking yesterday about 10, 11 years ago, things really started shifting in me. You know what it did? It made me so hungry for that much more. Because you know what? When you start finding there's more, it's like, oh, that's cool. wonder what else is there. I made a commitment a long time ago, and I don't know if some of you are, are members of Harvest here, but one of the things that I purposed in my heart is I would never preach a Sunday that I didn't preach something I didn't know last week. Do you understand what I just said? I, I will search Scripture after Scripture and continue to relay until I find something I didn't know. Because if I can preach something I didn't know that became new to me, it probably became new to most of the congregation. Because I want you to walk away with at least one nugget every week. I don't know how you do. You ever go to these conferences like for four days? You go to a four-day conference and you get so bombarded with like billions of information and then you try to take it all in. I can't do it. it like my brain fries. It gets really, really hot. Your brain fries and it makes your hair fall out. Okay, okay. So, so here's the deal. In the midst of that, what I decided was I'm going to take away three or four nuggets from every conference. I want one from every session. If I can take away a nugget from each session. So I write a lot of notes, but I circle things. And I don't know, do you do this? Do you like circle things and get your yellow highlighters? And I've worn them things out. I, I read a book. I read a book. If it's a book I'm really interested in, we have a guy coming in the next school. We're doing a school in the fall. And one of the guys coming is a guy named Scott Shang. And Scott's a pastor from out in, in uh, Woodland, Washington. Uh, it's a church. It's, it's the church that Todd frequents. It's probably his second favorite church. Anyway, okay. <laughs> okay. But, but in that, uh, he loves to go out there. And, and Scott wrote a book. And the, and the book is called The Rhema Code. So I started reading this book. And I, I got my yellow highlighter. I thought, I'm going to highlight everything that really jumps out to me. So now I have this yellow book. Okay. <laughs> okay. It's, like, it's like totally amazing. I love it. You know what I mean? But, but, but there's a lot of truth. And, and, and I don't know if you do that or not. But I want to take away the nuggets. I want to go after the gold. If it's there, let's go after it. Let's pursue it. Why wouldn't we? The reason I want that is because the only way I can pour out to anybody else is first get it poured into me. So I'm going to pursue everything I can that will pour into me so that I have the ability to pour out to somebody else. I challenge you, man, go after this stuff. It's gold. Okay? And we go after that and we pursue that. Because there's so much more that God has for us. So let me walk you through some of this, okay? Because we're, we're, for me to understand my authority, I have to understand what Adam had. Because if Jesus came to restore me to the position of Adam before the fall, right? Then I need to understand what Adam had. Y'all follow what I just said? That's a good word right there. If I don't understand what Adam had, I don't know what I got. Let me tell you a real story. A very close friend of mine, uh, I haven't talked to him for several years now, but he was pastoring out in western Pennsylvania, northwestern corner, and he had a young man in this congregation who was very zealous. How do you say but not real bright in a nice way? 
Okay, I said that. Okay, <laughs> okay. And the guy, the guy got a phone call from an overseer down in another state. It was West Virginia. And, and he called him and he said, could you come down? I got a church down here. They need a pastor. And I feel like you're the one that should come and pastor this church. So he gets all excited. And in his deal, he goes down. He's there about a month, and the church is kind of a real mess, so he decides he's going to reestablish things. And in, in the organization I was a part of back then, it wasn't unusual that you would set every year, you would set in order, you'd, you'd set up a Sunday school superintendent and a women's ministries director and a youth leader and, and, you know, all the different positions, right? So he goes down, he's there about a month, and he decides, okay, we've got to make some changes. So he jumps up that Sunday morning, and he says, I'm going to set the church in order for the new year. These are the appointments. So he changed the Sunday school superintendent. He changed the women's ministries director. He changed the, 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 I think he changed the youth leader and a couple other, there's a CPMA and a couple different things. And he changed people around all over, right? And as he was finished, the deacon of the church, it's just a small church, there's maybe like 30 people there. The deacon of the church stands up and he says, brother, could I have just a minute? And the pastor being gracious said, sure, come on, you, you've been here a long time. He says, now the pastor here, he's kind of new and, and we, we love him. We're glad he's here, but he doesn't understand us or how our church works. So I'm going to make the real appointments. And now the deacon puts back in place the Sunday school superintendent, puts back in place the old women's ministries director, puts back in place the old youth director, and he says, and that'll be the way we're going to run this year. And then he says, go ahead, pastor, and sits back down. And the pastor's jaw's on the floor. Now, understand, he's, this is brand new to him. He's only been pastoring for a month. And he says, oh, okay. And he just preaches his sermon. That night he goes home, that afternoon he goes home, and he calls my friend, who was his pastor, and tells him what happened. You know what his phrase was? Is the deacon allowed to do that? And the pastor starts to speak to him. My friend, speaking to the guy in West Virginia, said, son, you better understand your authority and your place, or these people are going to eat your lunch. Do you understand what I just said? And can you see the spiritual connotation in that picture? If you don't understand your position and your authority, the devil will come along and eat your lunch. Do you know how long we've allowed that to happen in the body of Christ? Because we didn't understand our position and our authority. If I don't understand what I have, I'll never use it. Imagine, and I, I said this in a mentoring class about two weeks ago, but imagine as the senior pastor of the church, I come in on a Sunday morning, and some yoho comes through the door with a guitar and says, okay, listen, pastor, the Lord sent me here today, so Pam's not going to lead worship today. I'm going to lead worship because God put a song in my heart. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> Do you understand? Yep. Do you think that's ever happened? I promise you that's happened. It hasn't happened here, but it happened in the church I was pastoring out in Western PA, where a guy came in, and he wanted to just kind of take over the whole service. I said, you're kidding me, right? And he was blaming God that God sent him. But I read somewhere that God's not the author of confusion, and that sounds to me like confusion. I'll bet it's not God. Come on, you've got to understand your authority. You've got to understand your position. You've got to understand your place. If you don't understand your place, you know what's going to happen? You're going to, you're going to get your lunch eaten. So you've got to know, what is my position? Here's where we're at. Satan steps in right here. Satan steps in, and when Satan steps in, he is now in, in, is positioning himself to take away the authority that the woman's going to hand him. And I firmly believe that Adam was standing right beside her. We'll talk about that in a minute. Go ahead. Okay, 
Um, I've done worship. I've been a worship leader, and this is something I really think Holy Spirit just taught me that I, I was feeling. Boom, boom, boom. Insert this here, please. Mm-hmm. Okay, it goes back to whole. It goes back to Satan's, the the orga, him being an orchestra, him having that sound. Absolutely. Because there's a place where the enemy, he he was, what I understand to be, part of worship, uh, the archangel worship in heaven. Mm-hmm. And his body produced these sounds, these heavenly sounds, until he did the unthinkable and um, the unstinkable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like that. I think that was a Holy Spirit joke. <laughs> Thank you, God. Anyway, he, he, loved, he, he was in charge of worship. Mm-hmm. Therefore, he really goes after the worship. So he would not want us to want. He would not want us to worship. He would not want us to sing. And worship is not just singing. It's everything we do, our lifestyle. I want to make that clear. But the, the singing, the, the praising, the, the, when we, especially when we come in corporate. corporate so for worship. somebody to walk in and say, I want to take over worship, that just sends bells and whistles. Thank you for, for taking that moment to share that and, sure. and to be, mm-hmm. be in your authority and stop mm-hmm. that. Because I believe he does try to take worship services and go with it. Uh, there's no doubt about it. And, and that's just one of so many different places. And what we find is that the, there's a place where if I don't understand my position, if I don't understand my authority, if I don't understand, can I say this, my rights and privileges as a believer, right? Then what will happen? Satan just runs rampant over me. Smith Wigglesworth, anybody ever hear of him? Amazing man, amazing man of God. He's standing, he's standing at a bus stop in England, waiting for a bus to pick him up. Little old lady comes out of her house. She comes out of her house, and there's a, she's a pretty big old woman, okay, and is the way he describes it, and there's a little dog that's following her, and the little dog had slipped out of the house, wasn't supposed to, and she turned around. She says, go on now. Get back up in the house now, buddy. You can just go on now. Go on now. You don't need to be out here. You get back up in, and she shoots the dog back in the house, right? Turned around, started walking down the sidewalk. Here come that dog again. Got out of the door, got out of the house again. Come in my house. She said, "Oh no 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 no! You go on back in the house. Go on back in the house. Go on back in. Get 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 in the house." And she chases the dog all the way up, right? And then and she turns around. She's coming back to the bus. And guess what? The dog's behind her again. She said, "No, boy. Now you get up there. I told you before. Now you just go and get up. Get 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 in the house." Chases the dog back in the house. Turned around, got all the way down to the bus stop. And he's watching this thing take place. Got down there and looked behind her. Guess what's there? The dog. And she turned around. She looked at that dog. She said, oh, shit, get. Ah, man, get you, get you, dog. And that dog went running back in the house. And Wigglesworth yelled, that's what we should do to the devil. Because <laughs> okay. there's a place where you understand where your authority is. There's a place where you understand that this is where you are. This is who you're created for. You are created to take authority over all the earth. Right. And the devil's trying to steal that from you. Yeah. Everybody get it? Yeah. Oh, that's big in my heart right now. Okay. So here's the deal. Every time you move away from what the Word of God says, you're coming in agreement with hell. Do you understand what I just said? When you move away from what the Word of God says, you are coming in agreement with hell. That's a strong word right there. And we have to understand that and see that and perceive that in our own heart. See, I think this. I think he is looking for human authority and cooperation to empower him. Watch this. If I really stop and think about this, what's Jesus say? 
In Luke 10 and 19, we better go there because, man, this wasn't even in my heart, but it is now. It's just rising up really, really strong. Luke chapter 10, verse 19 is probably one of my 2,000 favorite scriptures in the New Testament. (laughs) I got a lot of favorite scriptures, but this one really speaks to me volumes. It speaks to me a lot. Luke 10 and 19. I'm pretty well. Yeah, that's right. Luke 10 and 19. Jesus is speaking. Here's what he says. Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. And nothing shall by any means hurt you. Now, a little Greek understanding. The word power shows up twice in the King James. But in the Greek, it's two different words. The first word there is exousia. The word exousia means authority. What's authority? I told you a little while ago. The right to use power. So the first word is exousia, and it means authority. What he's saying is, I am giving you authority over all the power of the enemy. Y'all got that? The second word power there is actually dunamis. It's the same word we get dynamite from. Okay? So what he's saying is, anything the devil can come at you with, it doesn't even matter because you have authority over it. You have authority, and it's a place where we start to learn, what is my authority, and how do I use my authority? How does that look like? What's that look like in the big picture? Because here's the deal. See, we've used this scripture, resist the devil, and what? Is there a choice? No, there's no choice. If you resist the devil, he has to flee, but there's a prerequisite. Because in James chapter 4, where you read this, you know what it says? Submit yourself, therefore, unto God. Then he says, resist the devil and he'll flee. If you don't submit to God, you have no power to resist the devil. Then you become like the seven sons of Sceva who got themselves whooped and beaten in Acts, what, about chapter 19. So what we find is this. If we haven't submitted to God, we don't have this, we don't have this power and authority. Where's our power and authority come from? Our submission to God. Once I've submitted to God, now I stand in a position of power. Now I stand in a position of authority. And that position and authority has been returned to me. Why? Because Jesus brought it back. You understand the first Adam lost it, the second Adam got it back. But the only way you get it for you is you've got to be in touch with the second Adam. If you're not in touch with the second Adam, you're still under the curse of the first Adam. And the first Adam gave up his authority. But the second Adam brought his authority back. And because of the authority of the second Adam who lives in me, you all right with this when I say first and second Adam, right? And 1 Corinthians 15 draws that out really, really strong. But that second Adam lives in me. So I carry the authority of the second Adam because he's in me. And the second Adam takes authority over the first Adam. Oh, that felt really good. <laughs> I was wanting that all day. <laughs> But do you understand where my heart's at in this? If we haven't submitted to God, our authority, we've actually still got yielded authority to the devil. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's good. It's better than you think. You don't have to go home and watch it on the internet to get it all. Okay? (laughs) Okay. Here's where we're at. I want you to catch this because it's really strong. Watch what I'm saying. Okay? I don't want to come in cooperation with the devil every time. That I, that, I, that I walk this out every time that I allow, how do I want to say this? Every time I drift away from the word, I'm coming in agreement with the devil. And I allow these things to overtake me. Okay? So I want to talk to you about some of this. Jesus came to reestablish a lost order. You okay with that? Jesus came to reestablish a lost order. That's the first messianic promise, Genesis chapter 3. We talked about it a little while ago. I'll put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. What did he say? 
He said, you'll bruise his heel, but he's going to crush your head. <sighs> Do you know what that means? That means every time I really walk in the authority that God gave me, I am part of a group that is crushing the serpent's head. First John 3 and 8, have you studied that? I'll bet you have. First John chapter 3, verse 8. For this purpose was the Son of Man made manifest, revealed. What is it? Destroy the works of hell. Destroy the works of the devil. Do you understand that your job description, if, you, if somebody asked you, what's your job description on the earth? First John 3, 8 is a good verse, a good, a good response. I'm here to crush hell everywhere that I go. I'm here to, I'm here to get rid of darkness. How are you going to do that? Be light. Come on, I'm here to destroy the works of hell. How's that? Walk in the authority that God gave me to walk in. Let man have dominion over all the earth. You're, you're, come on, you've got a dominion mandate. It's straight from heaven. It's God's plan. It's God's purpose. There is so much of this that's bubbling up in my heart right now. There's a place where we live and we walk and we understand who we were created to be. But remember the young pastor in West Virginia? He didn't understand his authority. What was happening? They were eating his lunch. They were eating his lunch. They were telling him the way it was going down. Do you understand that so much of the body of Christ is being told how this thing's going to go down by the enemy? Why? Because if you, if, if, if you could understand your authority, you're a threat to his kingdom. But if you don't understand your authority, you're no threat to him. Until the pastor understood that the deacon couldn't override his decisions... The deacon had the authority in the church. Hello. <laughs> if the man don't understand that he has authority over the demon, the demon has authority over the man. Oh, that was good. Do you understand that? That's like huge. That's like really, really big stuff to me. Y'all following this? All right, let's do this. Go ahead. Oh. And I was reading from Luke 10 and 19. The whole thing's very, very powerful right in here. You got to understand in verse 1 of that same chapter, in verse 1, he sends out 70. And how's he send them out? Two by two. There's something about that. I could talk on that for a long time, but I won't. But he sends them out two by two. Then in about verse 17, the 70 returned, okay? I'll read it from the Message Bible here real quick. If it, it blanked out on me, man. There it is. It's back. No, it says, yeah, later the master. I went back to verse one, so wait a minute, I can scroll. No problem. Got it. Okay. Dan couldn't do that. <laughs> He doesn't, he doesn't carry the phone scrolling anointing that I have. Okay. <laughs> Don't tell him. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but he don't have a computer. <laughs> yeah, and I know that's true. Okay. <laughs> he does have the Holy Ghost. <laughs> He's, he's on a plane for Colorado right now going, what? What are they saying, Lord? <laughs> you can't keep secrets from an anointed man like that. <laughs> the 70 came back triumphant. Master, even the demons danced to your tune. Jesus said, I know. I saw Satan fall, a bolt of lightning out of the sky. See what I've given you? Safe passage as you walk on snakes and scorpions and protection from every assault of the enemy. No one can put a hand on you. I, 
I love that phrase in there in the middle. It says, even the demons had to dance to your tune. I like that. I'm going to tell you something. Here's a a word. Here's a good word. If you're going to dance with Jesus, let him lead. Oh, that was pretty cool. As a child of God, if you can follow this and catch this out, your authority, your power, what you have been given, the, the, the place that you've been called to walk in, it is so, there is so much to this, okay? And it all comes because Jesus came to restore to you what Adam lost back in the garden, literally 6,000 years ago. It's yours to walk in. I want to talk about that when we come back from break. We're going to go to John chapter 4, and we're going to look at some things because we need to understand. I want to talk to you about why Jesus came, what he established in the authority, how Satan had taken it away, but Jesus came to bring it back. And we're going to talk about all that because you need to understand the authority and the power that you as a believer have been given. The believer's authority is an incredible thing, but it's only incredible to the believer who believes. Do you understand what I just said? Take a break. Come on back in 15 minutes or somewhere close to that. I have to use my authority. It's time to start. You must have heard my Oh, thanks, dear. No, mine's on. Wait a minute. And now it's off. Good. Cool. Wow. Hey, cool. Let's, get, let's go back to where we're at. Uh, Pastor Lori made up a, a paper. Actually, what we're talking today is actually a message I preached a while back, probably, I don't know, maybe a couple of months ago, but uh, just take it a lot more in depth. I love to be able to just, to just really tear things apart. You can't do that when you're preaching a message, but in a classroom setting like this, there's a lot more opportunity. Uh, Pastor Lori went and grabbed the notes from that because I... It, here in Harvest, one of the things that I've been doing for a few years now is every Sunday morning, you'll get a, that would be in your bulletin. That would have been the bulletin insert for the message. It just makes things easier to follow sometimes because a lot of times I'm rattling through a bunch of scriptures. If you have that ahead of time and you can mark those scriptures, it's much easier. You don't find yourself. I know because I get really excited that I'm preaching and I'm actually preaching out the scripture while you're still trying to turn pages and that can be challenging on a Sunday morning. So anyway, tried to give you a little extra time with that. So now that we're almost through all the scriptures, here they are. Okay. <laughs> okay. But it will be helpful. And I, I know a lot of times just even in reference and things, um, was talking with uh, one, of the, one of the worship leaders who was down in West Virginia uh, over the weekend. Joe was down and he'd gotten a phone call from a guy this week and was asking him how to get on the website and watch because he was here Sunday morning. There was a couple of scriptures he was just trying to follow through. He said it really set him free, but he couldn't remember what they were, where they were at. And he wanted to see it on the thing. And I thought, well, they're in the bulletin, in the insert. But sometimes we don't even get the bulletin, you know what I mean? Because you're coming in late or whatever. So anyway, it's just kind of neat to have them. And then you can reference back over them as well. You can write on that paper, write on your notes, whatever works for you. Everybody okay? Listen, I'm excited. Some really neat things going on. We're going to take this now a step further. And we're going to look at, uh, we're going to, well, we're going to go to John chapter 4. But before we do, at the break, come on, Shane. Uh, at the break... Uh, Shane and I were talking and he kind of came up and was just sharing his heart on some things God was speaking to him about. And I thought it was incredibly profound. And one of the things that I've learned a long time ago is that iron sharpens iron. So a man sharpens the countenance of his friends. I honestly believe in the body of Christ. If we can go back to the first century church, we can learn a lot of stuff. Because what I see in the first century church doesn't look at all like the 21st century church. And I believe that that was our model 
Well, anyway, uh, <laughs> what I believe is we can learn and grow from one another. So God was sharing some things with him, and he was kind of sharing them with me, and I'm going, oh, I, that was them, you know, the, you know them, oh, I like them. So anyway, I said, man, would you just, because I could repeat what he said, but wouldn't it be better just to hear it from the source? So here's your source. <laughs> okay, Shane, just share your heart, man. Go ahead. Yeah. It's kind of cool. Well, uh, basically, uh, a lot of what uh, Pastor Don's talking about is stuff that the Holy Spirit on his own, in his own way, tailoring this kind of truth in a way that hits me, he's been leading me down a lot of the cool stuff that he's been talking about. So it's super encouraging uh, hearing him. But um, with the Holy Spirit and how he started this approach with me with revealing this kind of truth of, uh, of our unconditional authority, our uh, predestined uh, purpose of having dominion over this world, um, the first... Uh, I was looking back at Adam and Eve, and God said, uh, you know, God said, take dominion. And what the Holy Spirit hit me with is he said, Shane, you were designed to actually take dominion over darkness. Like, it, like God knew that there was darkness. There was the knowledge of good and evil. There was already darkness already could be. And he said, Shane, yeah, you, have, uh, you were designed to actually take dominion over the darkness. That's part of under your dominion is darkness. And then he, uh, uh, and then, uh, he opened my eyes to uh, uh, Adam and Eve's fall. And Satan, he came to uh, Adam and Eve and he enticed them. And he said, you know, he used truth. He used their desire to know God, their desire for truth, their desire uh, uh, to grow in who they are meant to be. He used that against them. And he said, hey, you know, because they desire truth, and so he comes and he says, hey, you can get truth, you can get truth, you can get truth. If you eat of this, you'll gain knowledge and you'll gain truth, and uh, it'll push you forward and who you're meant to be and, and all this stuff. Well, the thing is, is we know from Scripture that truth only comes from God. Truth can't come from any other source. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. So knowledge can come from anywhere. We can open up a science book and receive knowledge, but truth only comes from God. Well, anyways... What Adam, uh, where Adam and Eve fell and what uh, Satan used to entice them was their pursuit of truth. But he, um, but because they pursued it outside of their union with God, because God, it didn't come from God, they only received knowledge of good and evil, which actually bound them. And then when I, when I thought of that, I was then like, okay, God, well, then what's the truth behind it? Because I, you know, you think maybe they received truth, but he said, Shane, no, they only received knowledge. The truth behind it would be they would understand their dominion over it. They would understand that the evil doesn't have a place in them, that the evil can't hold them back, that the evil is actually under their authority, under their dominion. And so Adam and Eve, when they ate it, though, they only received knowledge which actually bound them. And be, but if when God, if God would have revealed it to them, when he would have revealed it, because I think he would have, at the right time, he was going to reveal it to them and show them their dominion. But that's the beauty of what Jesus did. Because Jesus came and he's now saying, you have dominion, darkness will not hold you back. There's nothing that can stop you. So just kind of looking at that um, really has also shown me that truth only comes from God. That's why I can't take man's word. I can't take... Knowledge, even if it's logical and rational and all this stuff, the only thing comes from God. So, um, so in my pursuit of truth, I know, according to Scripture, that dominion is there. And if I keep seeking, He'll keep shooting, uh, shooting me truth, and then that dominion will come and that authority will come. So that's kind of it. Cool, good stuff. Take it back here, okay? 
Good stuff. Um, take a listen to this because there's some more things. We've got a couple more questions. What I love about questions is they always raise more questions, <laughs> okay, which is cool. Go ahead, man. Yeah, and then, um, like Jesus said, I am the truth. Like, the truth is a person, like it says in that uh, Furious Love film. Right. Like, so he was saying... Um, if God would have revealed the truth, but then Jesus came and did that because Jesus, he is the truth coming. So I think that's pretty cool, too. That is pretty yeah. cool. Sure. Sure. Another question? Um, okay, but go easy on us. Okay. <laughs> okay. Here's, here's where we're at. Think about this. There's a couple of thoughts that are per- percolating in my mind. I imagine yours is as well. Okay. Cool. Go ahead, Patty. Now, I'm still stuck on, back on something else. Okay? okay. I just need the end of the story, you know. Um, as far as when Satan was here to minister to Adam and Eve, and he deceived them. Right. Okay. I, I mean, I have all that. Okay. Where does it come into play where we saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning then? Where I'll did, get to that. Oh, yeah, you're coming that's, there? That's in part two. That's okay. in part two? <laughs> part okay. two. The we rest talking, of the story. You we know, were, you got, we got Paul Harvey here. We're ready for the rest of the story. I said, you know okay. what? You say <laughs> I'm analytical, but <laughs> I just need to know the whole thing. But that's cool because that tells me the wheels are turning. Isn't that good? That's a good thing. So not, nothing wrong with that. Okay. Hang on to it. There's Becky. Okay, there she is. Listen, here's what we're going to do. I want to go back to what Shane said because I think what he said is pretty cool. How many understand there's a big difference between knowledge and truth? Come on, you can get knowledge, but truth sets you free. Knowledge can bind you. Truth can set you free. There's a difference there. Watch this. Jesus says ever learning, but never coming to the knowledge of truth. You can learn, right? But there's truth. Knowledge, truth. Catch that? That was something that really jumped on me. I don't know if that jumps on you like it does me. Can I tell you something? Oh, I'm going to speak to you. This will probably mess some of you up, and I'm going to do it on purpose. There's a lot of people that have knowledge here, but no truth here. Do you understand that? Come on. You can have a little truth here, a whole lot better than a lot of knowledge here. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes this is too big and this is too small. Okay? Come on, man. So, so that was pretty cool. I love that thought. Okay, you can have a lot of knowledge but no truth. Come on, man. Knowledge won't set you free. They had the knowledge of good and evil. The truth is they have dominion over evil. That means evil should never intimidate you. That means when evil comes against you, you know what? You have dominion over evil. So watch this. If you're in an area, remember I talked yesterday like about being in a steel mill, right? Remember we were talking about that some yesterday? And in the mill, I'm with 53 guys and I'm realizing there might be me and one other guy that's a Christian. We are highly outnumbered if you count in the natural. But I don't ever count in the natural. I counted me and Jesus. We win. (laughs) So, So I'm not worried about their darkness overtaking me. I think my light can overtake their darkness. Do you understand that? Do you know that when we read in John chapter 1, the light shined in darkness and the darkness comprehended it not? If you actually study that out in the Greek, and there's a couple different words here, but that word comprehended, actually, if we can go to one literal translation, Philip's literal says, the light shined in darkness and the darkness could not extinguish the light. I love that. Comprehend, when we think of the word comprehend, we think the light shined in darkness, but the darkness couldn't understand what the light was all about. 
You know, that's the way we read that. But Phillips Literal actually says, I think it's Phillips Literal. It's one, of the, it's one of the translations I was reading, and I really liked it. It said, the light shined in darkness, but the darkness couldn't extinguish the light. Why? Because light always trumps darkness. Come on. We live in a pretty incredible world, but I've never been anywhere where somebody turned on the dark. <laughs> Do you understand what I just said? Come on. The only way you can get dark is turn off the light. As long as you're the light, nobody can turn it off. You have the switch. Yay. <laughs> okay, good, good. So here's the deal. Let's go back to that. Let's go back to that whole garden scenario, right? Man falls, darkness, and now what's happening is they're walking this out, okay? As, as they're walking, let me tell you this. I think it's really important that you understand this. For a long time, my vision of what, what took place was Eve went over here by the tree and she's like, la, 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 it's a beautiful day. And then the serpent comes and speaks in her ear and says, hey, baby, you want to eat this tree? <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and, and so then Eve goes, oh, it looks so pretty. <laughs> and, then, and then something's going on there, right? And then she eats the tree and then says, oh, my, I think this is so good. I should take some to Adam. And then she runs home and knocks on the door, says, Adam, are you home? Look, here's the apple eat a bite. That didn't happen. Okay? None of that happened. As a matter of fact, if I can understand the scripture, right, it says Adam was with her. Adam was with her. Eve partook of the fruit, but it says, and she gave also unto her husband with her. And the word with her there actually indicates, at least it seems to be, that he is with her. Now, the thing and the deal is, and watch it. Can I talk to you about something I think is really, really important? This is really good. And it just really hit me right now, but here's the deal. Who told man not to eat the tree? God. Who'd he tell? He told Adam. Eve wasn't even created yet. Now, who told Eve? Adam told Eve. If you read the account in Genesis, it's kind of interesting because in Genesis, God speaks to Adam and says, but of the, midst of, but of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, thou shalt not eat. For on the day that you eat of it, you'll die. It's an exact quote, right? When the serpent comes to Eve, you remember what Eve said to the serpent? We can't eat it. We can't even touch it. God didn't say we can't touch it. God said, don't eat it. I think Adam said, don't even touch it. <laughs> Do you understand? But Eve's understanding was what she got from Adam. So the serpent didn't tempt Adam. The serpent tempted Eve. Why? Because what Eve got, she got from another man. What Adam got, he got directly from God. Oh, this is getting good now. You understand what I just said? See, here's the deal. You can sit in the classroom and get all kind of good teaching and get it. But I'm going to tell you, man, open your book and get it for yourself so that what you have is not susceptible because it came from another man. It's something that you opened up, saw it, got revelation, understanding, and all of a sudden you did the... Do you get what I just said? Yes. That's huge, man. That was really good stuff right there. Don't just take it because somebody, I say this all the time in our church here, but whether I preach it, Todd preaches it, Dan preaches it, Rick preaches it, we, we got incredible, Lisa, Dave, Ryan, I can go right down the list because we got some amazing preachers in this house. But the fact of the matter is just because we told you doesn't mean that you, you got to accept that. You got to open up the book and get it for yourself because on the day that you get it for you, nobody can take it from you. Isn't that amazing? Right behind you, Beck. Or in front of you. Yeah. I'm just curious. How did it go from, like, the angel to the serpent, like, tempting? Because, like, you were saying that it was like the, um, like, Lucifer after he fell was tempting her. 
And now you're saying the serpent. How did it go from like an angel to the serpent? Cool. Watch this. Remember, because somebody else asked that too. Thanks for bringing it up. Remember that I read in, Revela- or in, in Hebrews 1, verse 14. Are they not all ministering? No? Spirits. The word there is spirits. He's talking about angels. So what angel did I say sit down on my right hand till I make the enemies that forth? So are they not, and he's talking about angels, are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister to the heirs of salvation? Are they ministering what? Spirits. I believe that that angel as a spirit, Lucifer, enters into the serpent. At this point, the serpent does not look like a snake that we would understand. Okay, at this point, this snake somehow, I mean, it might have two legs, it might have four legs. In my mind, in complete 1,000% just supposition, in my mind, I think it might have had wings and flew. Okay, watch what I'm telling you, because it's in the tree. It's not your turn. Okay, okay, watch this. Okay, okay, watch this. Here's where we're at. I want you to follow this, okay? Because it's not until the curse, it's not, I shouldn't have done that. Okay, we're friends. Okay, here's the deal. In, the, in, in this, and if you follow this, it's in, at, at the curse, when the curse is being placed, right? It's in the curse that the devil is now cursed, right? And to the snake, to the serpent, the serpent is cursed. What's the curse on the serpent? Upon your belly, you'll now crawl and you'll eat dust. And I think it's interesting that God said you'll eat dust. Why does he say you'll eat dust? What was man formed from? Hmm. Hmm. Things that make you go, hmm. Okay. I like things that make you go, hmm. Okay. But in the process of that, up until then, I believe the serpent was upright. I believe he was very mobile. I'm not sure if he might have had two legs, four legs. I oftentimes think of when I read this and think of it, it comes in my mind, those word pictures. I picture that, that whole flying dragon thing. Just a thought. Remember that I said that's 100% supposition. I do know this. He didn't crawl on his belly till after the curse. Y'all follow what I just said? So whether it was a, a upright this way, two legs, four legs, no legs, I, I don't know. Maybe wings and flu. All, all part, maybe all the above. But the fact of the matter is, after the curse, now he's on his belly crawling, eating dust. And I think it's a real interesting phrase that he eats dust. Okay, y'all got that? Cool. So that's what happens, I believe. But as a ministering spirit enters into the serpent. Go ahead. Well, that leads up to a question because in Revelations it says that he's, you know, a serpent. The dragon. And then it goes to the dragon. Mm-hmm. That old serpent, the devil, and then he calls him the dragon, which, is all, which all fits in where my thought was. Because when it comes back to Revelation, and when we're talking probably chapter 12, 13, 14, all through there, it refers to him as the dragon. Okay, we're going clear to the back. Back. Bethany, right? Kimberly. Kimberly, that was my next guest, man. Go ahead. Okay. Oh, there's Bethany. She looks a little like yeah, you. Yeah, we look like sisters. Yeah, they, do. Um, they do look like sisters. I'm learning. I'm getting there. Go ahead. Okay. Um, I just had a question about um, the Adam and Eve thing. I always, I, not always, but I've been under the impression that rib actually means curved side. So I had this picture of Adam was one being, like God is one being. You know, God in him is man and women, woman. Like all the characteristics and you know aspects of man and woman are in God and that all of that was in Adam. And that when he says um, he took the rib out that he actually, if rib 
the translation of that is curved side. He actually took the curved side out of Adam. So I've always been under this impression that they were one and literally just separated, that Eve was not a new created being, but she was part of Adam and was taken out of Adam. So my question was just, and I'm not saying that I'm right in that or anything, that this is just all kind of going around in my mind because you said that Eve wasn't there. She may not have been taken out of Adam yet. So this is what's going through my mind. She wasn't taken out of Adam yet, but I guess she wasn't her own being yet, but all of her characteristics were in him. So I, I started to think, was she really there because she was part of him? But does that just come back to... Um, wow, you're deep on me now. <laughs> Remember a while ago I said, if you ask questions I don't understand, I'm going to ignore you. Let's move on. No, I'm just kidding. I'm only kidding, okay? But, but watch this, because I understand what you're saying. It's pretty deep thought. Um, I understand what you're saying. Her whole being would have been... In Adam. But was it, is the issue that her own personal wasn't pulled out yet? So that, because I can see it from that perspective too. Mm-hmm. I, I actually would, would, would apply that what you're saying. Uh, and again, the whole rib curved side thing, there's a lot of, that's, a, that's one theory of many theories that are out there, okay? Uh, we know that God puts Adam to a deep sleep. We know that it says, and he takes a rib from Adam. We have to understand what that rib actually is, is referring to. Takes a rib from Adam, uh, and out of that rib creates woman, okay? I mean, that's the way I understand this. You know, Adam wakes up and names her, because he saw her, and she was absolutely beautiful. And he went, whoa, man. And, and, and so, <laughs> so, in the process, what we find in that is, is that, what, what Kimberly's asking us is, was she, would she have had thought? Would she have been able to perceive? Would she have been able to understand? Even as a part of Adam, because she's taken out of man. In my thought, just my understanding, I don't think at this point yet, because even as, uh, uh, in, we'd have no reference to her until after that fact. So when the animals come by, Adam and Eve didn't name the animals. Adam named the animals. You know what I mean? And God walked with Adam in the midst of the garden in the cool of the day. You know what I mean? So what I find in that is, is that in, in that process, there's no, revel, there, there's no record. So because I'm a word man and I can't see it prior to her, prior to what I would have called her creation uh, from Adam's rib, I'm going to say that there was probably not. And again, that I'm, I use a phrase a lot when I'm teaching called my current level of understanding. <laughs> In my current level of understanding, I'm going to say that probably she had no psyche, if, if that's what you're looking at. No, no thought process or anything of that nature. I, I'm, I'm not even sure how I can see that whole picture there other than after the, after the fact that Adam's put to sleep, now Eve. Okay, that's that I would say that, that in my current level of understanding, that's the way I would say I understand that to be. Okay, that means when I say my current level of understanding, that means my understanding is pro, it has the possibility of change. Okay, so maybe maybe some of you might want to study some of that out and just kind of look at that to see what you come up with. And then you can share with the class in the next couple of days. And I'd be fine with that. I think it'd be kind of neat. It makes our heads go. hmm. Okay, and, and I like things that make me go. hmm. Okay, so cool. Okay, so here's where we're at. Let's go with this. We have now, okay, we have to come to an understanding. Man has dominion over the earth. So does God have dominion over the earth? No. 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 
God doesn't have dominion over the earth he created. So now I made you go, hmm, <laughs> good. Yeah, he gave it to man. It was God's choice. God's choice was, I give it to man. Remember, we quoted so many scriptures. Once God says something, it's established. So the established order is what? The heavens belong to God. The earth is to the sons of men. We have that. David writes it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. We have, the, we have the psalm that says, once I made my covenant, I won't go back on the word that was spoken from my lips. Does God say that? So who has dominion? Man has dominion. Does God have dominion? No, because he gave it to man. So watch this. Go to John chapter 4. It's verse 24. Jesus is with the woman at the well. This is like one of the most amazing. There is so much you could preach out of John chapter 4. You could teach. You could literally teach class for several weeks out of John chapter 4. It's that powerful. But in John chapter 4, I just want to look at one verse. I'm not going to cover the whole bunch. But I want you to see this. Okay. So John 4, 24. Okay. This is an amazing verse. I'm going to give you a chance to turn there. Okay. You there? God is a spirit. That's all I needed. <laughs> God is a spirit. I want to talk to you about this. God is a spirit. Okay? So what's that say? God has no physical body. Why? Because God is a spirit. Does the spirit have a physical body? No. It's the spirit. God is a spirit. Okay? I want to establish that as a fact. God is a spirit. How do you establish that as a fact? It's in red. It's a fact. <laughs> it doesn't get any factor than that, if, if that's a word. Okay? Now, God gives dominion and authority to physical human beings. So God can't just step in and straighten out the whole mess. Why? Because he gave dominion to us. Okay? You follow what I'm saying? So here's the deal. Okay? That's why God had to become a man. That is right. <laughs> Me and her know it. Okay. <laughs> okay? Here we are. Okay? It's right. God has to become a man. Okay? So this is like an amazing truth. This is an amazing reality. Is God becomes man. Over and over, I, I, I found myself reestablishing. Because up until maybe, maybe that 10, 11, 12 years ago, if you'd have told me that everything Jesus did, he did as a man, I'd have argued with you and said, no, he was God. He, and, I, and I've even quoted, he was the God-man, Christ Jesus. Used Isaiah. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Right? Child born, 100% man. Son given, 100% God. Do you understand what I'm saying? But watch this, okay? Everything that Jesus did, he did as a man. I can prove that scripturally. Dan did the other day, because I was sitting in here, and we kind of quoted some scriptures back and forth. That might have been Saturday night. I don't remember. Anyway, it's okay. Here's where we're at. And I want to just step into this, okay? Jesus is the Word made flesh. Am I right or not? Yes. Come on, it's the incarnation. Right? Do we talk about the incarnation? Everybody knows the word incarnation. That's God becoming man. The Word made flesh. It's John chapter 1. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His, we beheld his face. We beheld His stink. I know this. It's not glory. And we be. Full of grace and we beheld John 1 12. And the word was made flesh, or maybe it's 14. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. Yeah, that's it. We did behold his glory. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, it was glory. I was starting to say that. I thought that ain't right. It is right. 
cool. I thought I was wrong, but I was mistaken. Okay. Okay. Here's, here's where we're at. Okay. 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 Let's just go with that. Okay. Watch this. Okay. Because I think there's some amazing things to this. It's the incarnation. Do you understand what that really means? The incarnation. That's huge to me. I, I, this, this dropped in my heart a couple years ago. When, when we were kids growing up, my mom in the wintertime would make large, big kettle of chili. Okay? And she, but she didn't make chili. She made what she called chili con carne. Who's ever heard of chili con carne? Now, if you understand anything about that, the word carn means with. And carne means meat. It's chili with meat. It's not just chili beans. Chili doesn't carry with it any hamburger. Chili con carne is full of hamburger. Y'all follow what I'm saying? It's chili with meat, con carne. Why? Because carne means meat. The incarnation, same root. It's actually Latin and it's derivative. But what's it mean? God with meat. Isn't that amazing? God with meat. God with skin on. Come on. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Come on, you know what God's wanting to do with you? The Word made flesh. Come on, that's what He's wanting to do. He's wanting to establish you as the Word made flesh. Come on, you're living epistles. What's He saying? The Word made flesh. Do you understand? That's really what He's wanting to do in every one of us is establish us in that same place, in that same order where we become the Word with, <laughs> with skin. I'm a walking Bible. Come on. I'm the gospel in the flesh. That's what we should be. That's what, And I don't mean that you can quote 10,000 scriptures. I mean you can live it. Amen. I actually was in a counseling session last night with a guy, and he's all been out of shape over some things. We're actually going somewhere together, and he's been out of shape over some things because he feels like he's so inadequate about when he tries to speak to people, and he doesn't have the ability to quote scripture, and he, he, feels, he feels like really challenged about just sharing his faith. And I told him, I said, man, look, you don't have to quote 10,000 scriptures. He said, yeah, but every time I try to talk to people, I just get all tongue-tied and I can't say what I want to say. And then I get mad at myself. And then I feel convicted and condemned. I don't even feel like I should even go to church anymore. I said, that's the dumbest lie from hell that's ever been given. My goodness, man, here's the deal. Even if you don't say it, you can live it. And you are preaching the gospel every day by living it and being the word made flesh. I get passionate about some of this stuff. But we've got to live this thing. Because i got to tell you something. I don't want to say this the wrong way. We've quoted a whole lot of scriptures, but we haven't lived near as many as we quoted. And it did the church a great injustice, and the world looked at it and said, hypocrite. Hypocrite simply means one who wears the mask. I've had angry men who have screamed on the telephone. You Christians hide behind your cross and your makeshift faith, but you go out there and live no different than the rest of us. I said, I'm sorry, sir. You're probably right over a whole bunch. And I apologize for them. But we're trying to change that. Why don't you come help us? We have room for one more hypocrite. <laughs> Watch this. There's so much. I didn't say that, I just thought that. But <laughs> I, I, I need to stay on a roll. The Word made flesh. Okay? The Word was made flesh. God was raising up men throughout the history from the fall of man who would prophesy that into, they were speaking it into existence. I don't know if you understand that or not, but they were prophesying that. I want you to picture Isaiah as an old man standing in the midst of the synagogue, and he says, A virgin shall conceive and bear a son. 
and shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. It takes a lot of faith to prophesy that a virgin's going to have a child. Do you understand how much faith it would take to prophesy that? Come on, that's a lot of faith you're going to prophesy that. Do you know on the day that Isaiah would have said that, there would be men leaving the synagogue and say, oh man, he's lost it. <laughs> he just said a virgin's going to have a baby. They were speaking it in. God was moving in amazing ways. There's a lot of faith to that. God had to become a man. Go to John 5. Let's look at verses 26 and 27. Yeah, if you're John 4, just turn the page. <laughs> For as the Father has life in himself, so hath he given to the Son to have life in himself. And hath given him authority to execute judgment also. Why? Because he's the Son of Man. Do you understand what he just said? No. He's given him authority to execute judgment. Why? Because who had authority on the earth? Man. Man was given authority. Man was given authority, right? Then they handed over their authority, and the enemy's running rampant with that. And the battle is man trying to get it back. Jesus comes to take back the authority that Satan had taken from man. Do you understand what I just said? Everything that Jesus does, and I said this a little while ago, everything that Jesus does, he does with the word restoration in mind. He is restoring us to our rightful place. You were created to have dominion and authority. Jesus came to restore man in his position of dominion, in his position of authority. This is what we're created for. This is what, this is the whole reason that we're here is to re, there's a, can, can I go here? What's the, oh, I'm going to talk to you. If you were to ask the, the, the church at large, what's the central message of the gospel? Do you know what people would say over and over and over and over? You must be born again. Yeah. Come on. It's the central message. It's the message of the gospel. It's what Jesus preached, right? You must be born again. Wrong. That's not the central message of the gospel. And that might mess with your theology, but let me mess with you. Because if you're going to read this book, let's read this book. How many times did Jesus preach you must be born again? One. Who did he preach it to? To one man. Yep. One man. I, one man in the middle of the night. Come on. It's the Nick at night experience. <laughs> Come on. It's Nicodemus. And he comes in the middle of the night. Master, what do I got to do here? He said, you must be born again. How do I climb back in my mother's womb? He said, no, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Who's he talking to? He's talking to one man in the middle of the night. It's the only time you can find that phrase. 37 times the Gospels record Jesus preaching, repent, change the way you think, because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What was he preaching? What's really the central message of Christ? Change the way you think. I've come and I've brought my kingdom with me and you can be a part of it. I'm going to restore the kingdom of God to the earth. That's why I'm passionate about this, because the church doesn't understand the central message of the gospel. How does it happen? Sure, you got to be born again. I don't ever want to tell you. Don't take away that idea you must be born again. How do you think you get into the kingdom? You must be born again. 
right? But you know how many thousands of people got born again and did absolutely nothing with it? Amen. Come on. We've did this thing where it's pray the prayer, get your name in a book, and wait for the bus. <laughs> okay? We have waited for the bus far too long. We've come into the kingdom. Yeah, we've come into the kingdom, but let's do something with the authority and the power and the dominion and everything that Jesus came to restore because he did not come to get us born again so we can go to heaven. He came so we could be born again and bring heaven to the earth. Amen. That is right. I like her. <laughs> she agrees with me a lot. I like it. <laughs> Do you understand this? This is what I did not understand until 11 years ago. Remember that I told you about 11 years ago my whole life shifted? Because I began to understand this central theme. Jesus came to restore what Adam lost. What? Dominion and authority over all the earth. Do you understand? Oh, I'm, I'm way out on a limb right now, but let me go here for just a minute. I'll catch you in a minute, Shane. If I, if I can get this, and I, I understand this real clear. God created the physical earth to mirror a spiritual heaven. We're to have a mirror image. How do you know that? Jesus said, on earth as it is in heaven. Come on. On earth as it is in heaven. Let your kingdom come and your will be done. What? Right here on earth. Same as it is in heaven. It's Matthew 6. It's Luke 6. It's written in red. It's Jesus speaking. I, for, now, come on. I'll tell you just from my heart real straight. For years, I thought that meant during the millennial reign, when Jesus sets up his millennial reign in Jerusalem, and he rules the reigns with a rod of iron, it'll be on earth like it is in heaven. But he didn't say we have to wait for that. Our job, you and I, as ambassadors of the kingdom, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, what's he say? We're ambassadors. What's an ambassador? A representative. We're what? We're ambassadors of heaven. What does that mean? An ambassador comes to the United States. They have all the rights and privileges of their country. Their country backs them in everything. Their dominion doesn't come from the country they're in. Their dominion comes from the country they're from. What's that mean? That means their authority, their power, and everything that's behind them comes from the place where they've come from. And he said, we're ambassadors of his kingdom. We're ambassadors of heaven. What's that mean? That means everywhere we walk, we are backed by the authority and the power of the kingdom that we represent. We need to understand our ambassadorial role. I'm going to get somewhere today. <laughs> so watch this because it's really, really strong. Shane, go ahead. I'm sorry. Technology, push the button on the bottom. Right. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, <laughs> okay. I don't, I don't know if I, I, if I shared this, but anyways, um, uh, with exactly everything you're talking about, um, uh, Jesus came to establish our authority. He came to show us our dominion. He came to unleash us to what we are designed to be. Absolutely. Um, and uh, with that, uh, looking at, at the life of Christ, if you notice, any time there was a, a problem that the disciples had, they would run to Jesus. You know, you have the storm. You know, they, they're in the storm, and they come to Jesus. They say, you can save us. And, uh, uh, and if you don't, we're going to die. And what does Jesus say? Where is your faith? Right. He tells them, you take the man. You take the reins. And then uh, you see then with the uh, uh, demon-possessed uh, person they can't cast out, they take it to Jesus. 
And he rebukes him for their faith, and he says, uh, you know, where's your faith? If you must see, you can even move this mountain. He then not only says you can do this, he then points to a greater thing to do. Right. And then you see, uh, and then just a, a bonus one was in the fig tree. You know, he tells it to die, and they're like, whoa. And he's like, if you embrace faith, you will command this fig tree to, to die, and it will die. But more so, you will also command a mountain to move, it will move. And he points to a higher level. Well, then Jesus, then you have the upper room discourse, you know, like the most intimate time he has with his disciples. You then have him saying, all the works I've done, you know, I've been because I'm in the Father and, and whatnot. And then he says, but you will do greater works than me. And this kind of hit me. John 14, Jesus, 12. Sure. Jesus came not actually to be the pinnacle power of what man could be. Jesus actually limited himself so that he could always say more, go bigger, go beyond. You you are meant to go beyond what I came, and and that I I, just, I can't even tell you what that means to the humility of God, that God would not come to be the finale of the fireworks, but actually just to be one, to then be able to say, you guys are the finale. I love that. So, wow. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, Cool. I just got the fireworks thing just now. So I, yeah. but but he but he's always unlimiting us. Everything he said, he never once limited. He always unlimited constantly, and he always pointed to more and beyond, to even the point of his own life, saying that my life is not the top. My life is actually I actually limited my life so that I could say go beyond. That's amazing. Isn't that cool? That is so cool. Good stuff. Amen. Thanks for sharing, man. Do you understand how how powerful that is? Right, and it's the whole greater works mentality that we would understand. Up here, hon. Uh, greater works mentality uh, is such a strong thing, okay? And, and, and we have to understand that. That speaks volumes. That's really, really cool. Go ahead. Just what you said prior to um, Shane talking about the earth being um, like a reflection of heaven. Absolutely. A while, a little while back on Sunday morning, well, even back last September, her and I, uh, Jenny and I saw a rain bar. I'm sorry, a, a rain bar, not a rainbow, but okay. a rain bar came out of heaven. Okay. And I went after God on that. I said, "What is that? What is the rain bar? What does it represent?" And one morning in worship here, He landed on me and said, "That's." Came, he showed me coming down in the garden where Eden, the Garden of Eden was, and that's bringing heaven to earth. At that time, in the garden. Okay. And then with what you said, it made more sense. Because it was a spiritual reflection. This is a natural reflection of what's going on in of what heaven is in the spiritual. Everything about that says that our job is to bring the reality of heaven right here on the earth. That the earth should be a mere reflection of, of heaven here. I got a few other ones, but go ahead since you have it. Go ahead. <laughs> There's a lot of hands right now. I like it. It's cool. Go ahead. I, I'm sorry, but this connects because we both saw the rain bar, right? And we, we'd been after God about this. It was actually shown to us when we, we were, um, it was in our engagement to be married. God, God took that moment to sign and seal that thing. He actually brought a rain bar down out of the sky. It took about five minutes. We both watched it and, and kissed the ground and slowly went up. And not only does it mean it's where heaven and earth came in the garden, but it was... It was God's statement to us, that, it, and uh, the download is this, that he is re-establishing his marriage with his bride. Okay. 
I don't think it was ever unestablished, but I understand what you're saying. It's just a re, it's a, it's a reconfirmation. It's a confirmation. Oh, he's restoring the bride. We are, we are in such an amazing time. It's probably a good word. We're seeing the bride come alive and we're beginning to pursue what we didn't pursue before. Remember, most of us in this room, if you've been saved for any length of time, you probably got saved with an escapist mentality. I want to get born again so I can, so I can miss, heaven, or miss hell and go to heaven, right? You know what I mean? That's the reality. And we wanted to get, you know, and it was pray your prayer, get ready because we're getting out of here. And I pre- preached all this stuff. I used to, oh, I'd preach. I'd get so anointed, I'd preach. Do you know something? Just because you're loud don't mean you're anointed. Yeah, <laughs> said that out loud okay anyway but but i can remember preaching oh one of these days ha we're gonna leave this whole garbage dump of a world oh and we're going to heaven and walk on streets and go ha and if you say ha a lot you're really spiritual okay (laughs) but you know you're really spiritual when god has three syllables and god said okay (laughs) see that's that's when you know you're spiritual okay yeah you're totally anointed then it's nothing to do with any of that stuff but here's the deal and this is so real we got to understand something. God is awakening the bride to a reality that we haven't had in the past, but we're getting it. I don't know where we're at. Rachel, okay. I was going to say that just what Shane um, said. That was profound. I love that. Yeah, well, and that, and just how much Satan has twisted that, you know, when we were saying about, you know, oh, well, but Jesus is higher. And that just trumped that. <laughs> Absolutely. It's pretty amazing. Which brings in that concept of John 14 and 12 and understanding how he said greater works you'll do. Because right. I don't want to be the high water mark. I want to launch you to become the high water mark. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, got a couple more. You had your hand up? Linda, right? Cool. <clears throat> but um, before we can do anything, we must be born again. Oh, absolutely. It's the entrance into the kingdom. You can't even get into the kingdom without the born-again experience. That has to happen. That's a surrendering of my life, my will, my thing. Because I've come to the place where I realize I'm not even here for me. I wasn't even created to live for me. Selfishness. And I'm sure you've heard Dan talk about this because I taught him well. Listen, no, don't tell him I said that either. Okay, but, but, but watch this. It's on that plane going, what? Okay, okay. So in, the, in that, and watch this. Because we, we understand the fall of man brought in, ushered in selfishness. And we've lived from a selfish mentality. And the born again experience is going, boom, wait a minute. I wasn't created for me. Created for him. The entrance into the kingdom. It's absolutely, you must be born again. That's why I said, don't ever take away from that. Absolutely, 100%, please hear that. Don't ever take away from the born again experience because it's the way you get into the kingdom. But once we're in, let's do something with what we got. You understand what I just said? That's real powerful. Somebody else, was there any other? Cool. Shane, go ahead. Okay. Uh, He think he's on a roll now. Come on. (laughs) Come on, go ahead. Go ahead. With, 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 with seeing all this, because we were talking about fulfilling all that man is supposed to be and all that man uh, was designed to be and all this stuff, um, but then what, what then is the purpose? Why did God design man to, be the, uh, to, to have dominion? Why would he do that? Why would he design us in this way? And, and I think uh, just in, in Ephesians, it, it just totally hits it um, by just saying that we are... Uh, uh, it says here in verse uh, six um, or five and six, um, according to the good pleasure, or he having predestined us to adoption 
uh, as sons by Jesus Christ of, to himself according to the good pleasure of his will to, uh, to the praise of the glory of his grace. And the thing is, is uh, later on uh, in, in Ephesians, uh, you, you keep seeing this theme of by us being who we are, praises God beyond anything else that he's ever made or designed. Sure. By us being who we are, by us being in the life of Christ, it praises him. It's, so in reality, it's still all about the glorifying of God. And in our heart's desire to love him, we embrace and just do exactly what Dan said, of saying yes mm-hmm. to what God has said about us. And, uh, but that, yeah, I, just, I just find that so amazing that um, it's still to the praise of his glory, that by us embracing who we are, it's throwing us into a union with him, which praises him beyond anything darkness can comprehend. And that's why they're trying to keep us down. I, th- I think you're absolutely right. One of the things that really jumps in my heart and I get really excited about is that as the church continues to gain understanding and we start to, we're, 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 we're gaining, we're going, can I say this? We're going from the gospel of salvation to the gospel of the kingdom. Yeah. I, I don't know if everybody gets that or not, but I, I, I'm understanding that. And there's an awakening in the bride and we're seeing that. And I, I've often pictured Jesus jumping up and down going, they're getting it, dad, they're getting it, they're getting it. Because <laughs> I think he's pretty excited for us. Do you, do you understand? When we read Luke 10 and 19, go back to that. I have no intention of going back to that until right now, but go back to that. Go back to Luke 10, 19. He says, Behold, I give you power uh, to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Isn't that powerful? But watch this, because it's kind of cool. Now watch. And I think we've got to get this, because I, I think it's really strong. Okay? Luke 10, verse 19 says that, but then watch. Notwithstanding in this, rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. What's he mean when he says that? Your name's written in heaven. Because we talk about being in the Lamb's book of life. You know what that means? That means now you're an ambassador from that country. That means all the resources, power, and authority of heaven are in you. Your name's written down there. That means you an ambassador. You're no longer of this planet. You're of that country. Come on. You've got citizenship in another world. And because of that's where your citizenship is, your authority comes from where your citizenship is. And you're now an ambassador. And you can rejoice because now... All the power, authority, and resources of your kingdom are inside of you. That's why he said, the kingdom of God cometh not within observation. Where does it come? The kingdom's within you. You have the resources, the power, and the authority of that kingdom inside of you. Then read this. This is cool. In that hour, Jesus rejoiced in spirit. Now, I could read that, but I want you to understand. That word rejoice is a Greek word. You know what it says? It actually says, if we can understand that in the fullest context of the word, it says he leaped and danced and twirled. He leaped and danced and twirled. That's literally in the translation of that phrase. He leaped, danced, and twirled. They're getting it. He did it a lot more graceful. Okay, okay. But the fact of the matter is, it's so clear to me. That's like amazing. Do you understand how excited he is when we get it? When the light starts coming on and you start understanding, you start getting this thing. He leaped and danced and twirled. He was excited because he said they're starting to understand who I've created them to be. They're starting to flow in their full created value. They are not just sitting by waiting for the boss to pick them up. Yeah. Amen. That's amazing to me. Yeah. I get very excited over this. 
dominion, authority, power, it's yours. It's up to you what you do with it. I have a car. So I decided I'm going to give Terry my car. So I signed the title to my car over here, Terry, it's yours. Whose car is it now? Okay. So Terry says, I've always wanted a car like this. Because when I was a little kid, I went to the fair, and they had a, this old car sitting there, and they had people come by with a sledgehammer and beat on it. So now I got a free car. Where's my sledgehammer? I've always wanted to beat on a car. So he takes his sledgehammer, starts beating on my car. I'm frustrated. How could you do that to my car? Wait a minute. It's not my car. Whose car is it? So he can do with anything he wants. Dominion. Authority was given to man. And God said, I gave it to man. They can do with it what they want. And they handed it over. Do you know how my heart would sink? I give him a Chrysler 300. And he's beating on it with a sledgehammer. Yeah. Boy, I don't know if I should have ever gave him that car. And then Jesus came and did body work. And fixed the car. And it runs again. <laughs> Do you understand? That's huge to me. Jesus comes. What's his message? I just told you a few minutes ago. Repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. What does the word repent mean in its purest form? Change the way you think. Change the lens you see life through. Change your perspective. Look at things differently now. Everything that I understand about this says I'm not down here praying to a God up there. Ephesians 2 and 6 says, I'm seated with him in heavenly places. I've changed my view. I don't see from down there anymore. I see from up here. Does that make sense? Repent. Change the way you see things. Come on. I'm not a man in fear praying to a distant God that he might come and maybe help me. I'm a man in covenant with him. Speaking to mountains that mountains would move. Because I understand my dominion and my authority. I hope that's clear to you. After six weeks in this class, I'm really believing that's got to be sinking in. That's got to really be gripping our hearts to a place where we're understanding who we were created to be. Because that's what it's all about. Let me give you a phrase that's so strong in my heart. Here's the phrase. It's always about identity. It's always about identity. Do you understand what I just said? If Eve would have had her identity straight, she'd have never took that apple. Fruit. We don't even know it was an apple. We've, we've claimed apple for years, but just a shade of the fruit. She'd have never, if she'd had her identity straight. A couple weeks ago, I think on a Thursday night, I was down at Dr. John's preaching on Samson. The truth of the matter is, Samson would have never been in Delilah's lap if he'd have had his identity straight. Do you understand what I just said? I can walk you through every situation in the Bible and tell you... If identity was straight, situations would have been different. It is always about identity. The only reason Goliath fell is because David knew his identity. Come on. Called him an uncircumcised Philistine. And that had nothing to do with manhood and everything to do with covenant. Do you understand what I just said? Come on. Because it's always about identity. Always about identity. If our identity's straight, we'll walk this thing out and flow in our created value. We'll understand who we are. So Jesus says, repent. I've changed the way you think because I've come. He has come to do what? To reestablish the kingdom of God on the earth. 
to bring man back to their place of authority is restoring everything that the first Adam lost. If you don't do anything else, really consider 1 Corinthians 15 and study that out. First Adam, second Adam. The first Adam failed and missed it. The second Adam came and established it. Come on, he fixed it. Jesus came to reestablish what Adam lost. To reestablish the order that God set up in the first place. Come on, God gave Adam a car and he took a sledgehammer and beat it. Jesus came and fixed it. (laughs) That's pretty twisted, but it works. You follow what I'm saying? The reality is, is that he came to reestablish that. Check it out. New Testament in one verse. Acts 10, 38. Go there. Yeah, this just come in my heart right now. Acts 10, 38. That's one of my other 2,000 favorite New Testament scriptures. <laughs> Acts 10 and 38 says this. How God anointed Jesus Christ of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power. Who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. Do you know what's really amazing? Just more positive proof. And understand this. Everything Jesus did, he did as a man. Why would God have to anoint Jesus if he came as God? It doesn't say how God anointed himself. (laughs) Come on. Come on. How God anointed Jesus Christ of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power. Wouldn't have needed to be anointed with the Holy Ghost and power if he came as God. Right? He came as a man. What was he doing? Everything he was doing, he was doing as a man. How God anointed him with the Holy Ghost and power. What did he do? Went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. Why? Because that's your job description. Destroy the works of hell. Destroy the works of darkness. Don't let darkness overcome you. Your light overcome darkness. How God anointed Jesus Christ of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power. Who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. For God was with him. So I get real personal in scripture. Watch this. How God anointed Taylor Rickroad of Abbottstown with the Holy Ghost and power. And she went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil because God was with her. Do you understand how you just got to stick your name in there? Yeah. You just got to get really personal with that. How God anointed Linda Miller of Hanover with the Holy Ghost and power. And she went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil because God was with her. Do you get that? Because it fits for every one of us. How God anointed Miranda Becker with the Holy Ghost and power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil because God was with her. Do you understand that? I mean, come on, we, we, we got to get this. This has to become so incredibly real in our life that we understand. Come on, because Romans 8, 11, don't ever forget this. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. Yes. He's in me. I love that. Jesus humbled himself to not be the high watermark so you could come behind him and do greater works. That's amazing to me. It gives us something to reach for, doesn't it? 
Come on, it ought to build a tenacity inside of us that says, man, God, how, how many were here at all when Pam, was, Pam wrote a song? Pam Stevens, one of the worship leaders here, wrote a song. I want to walk like Jesus. I want to love like Jesus. I, I want to look like Jesus. I, I want to be like him. Come on, so I can live unoffendable. So, so, so come on, it's, there's so much in that song that's such a reality, it's a heart cry. It's actually called My Prayer. It's what she called it. She called it My Prayer by Pam Stevens. I think it's an amazing song. But the reality of that song says this is our mark. This is what we're going after. I want to look like him, be like him. Can I? You better believe you can. 1 John 2 and 6 says so. 1 John 2 and 6, another one of my favorite scriptures. <laughs> and it's an amazing scripture. But it says if we say that we abide in him, we also ought to walk even as he walked. He wouldn't tell me that I should strive for that if it wasn't possible. He wouldn't put it out there and then tell me, but you can't do it. Nah, 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 nah. God's not like that. Come on, if he put it out there, it's because we can attain it. It's attainable. It's something that we should be pursuing. It should be inside of us. It should be such a passion in my heart. I want to look like Jesus. I want to love like him. I want to talk like him. I want to walk like him. I want to be like him. Everything inside of me says I can. Why couldn't I? Oh, because the world says you can't. They're wrong and you're right. Let me do it like David Hogan. <laughs> I love when he does that. Come <laughs> on. It's so real. Everything's there. So God anoints Jesus Christ of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power. He's in you. And he wants to work through you. It's up to you to yield to him. But if you'll yield to him, it'll change your life forever. See, every decision we make, we're going to yield to one or the other. We're either yielding to God or Satan. I mean, this, this whole life... It's a battle between good and evil, right and wrong, darkness and light, God and the devil. Come on, call it whatever you want to. You're going to yield to one or the other. Go ahead. In, in Scripture, I don't know exactly where it is, but he says that we have been given an anointing, that we already have an anointing. Absolutely. It's John chapter 1, verse 27. Let's go. First John. First John. I'm sorry. First John. We have to be anointed. We already are anointed. It's within you. Yes. On the day you got born again. Go there. Go ahead. Go there. First John 1, 27. 2, 27. I'm sorry. Third column, bottom scripture. <laughs> That's where I remember stuff. It's John chapter. First John chapter 2, verse 27. But the anointing which you have received of him abides in you. And you need not that any, any man teach you, but as the same anointing teaches you of all things and is truth and is no lie. And even and as it hath taught you, you shall abide in him. Do you know what it says? It says there's anointing in you and it rises up inside of you and it brings things out of you. Yeah. I'm telling you, that's amazing to me. There's an anointing inside of you. It's, sometimes, here's what we've done. We prayed, Lord, let your anointing fall on us. I'm saying, no, let your anointing rise up in us. It's already in me. Come on. It already fell. It's here. It's in you. Come on. And you want that thing to grow and swell. Look. It's amazing. It's in you. Okay. It's a big deal. Follow this thing, man. Every decision we make, we're yielding to one or the other. Remember Matthew 6 and 24, what Jesus say? No man can serve two masters. What's he saying? You're going to cleave to one hate the other. What's going to happen? You can't serve two. You've got to decide who you're going to serve. Whose side are you on? One of the things we've got to make crystal clear, we've got to know whose camp are we going to live in. This whole concept of living with one foot in the world, one foot on, in, in the church, that's ridiculous. Yep. 
That's the dumbest thing I ever heard. You're going you're gonna to be a mess your whole life. It's so strong in my heart right now. See, one of the things I'm coming to understand is this. Over and over, the words that come out of my mouth mean everything. We'll talk more about this. I don't know where I'm going to go tomorrow, to tell you the truth. I've got so many things in my head right now. But I can tell you something. Remember that I said Adam, Jesus came to restore everything to Adam. Do you understand Adam was created as a speaking spirit? We could really spend some time and talk about that. But you've got to understand something. You've got incredible power in your mouth. You have incredible power in your mouth. So every time that you're talking, you're coming into agreement either with heaven or hell. Do you understand what I just said? Watch this. My marriage will never work. What did you just come into agreement with? Hell. You just came into agreement with hell. Why? Because hell says your marriage will never work. God says you can have an incredible marriage. I'd much rather agree with God. I think God's right. <laughs> Matter of fact, I'm pretty convinced. <laughs> I'm so convinced you don't have the power to unconvince me. God's right. So watch this. What, when you start saying, you know, I'll always have this pain. Oh, my leg hurts, but I guess I'll just always have this pain. Who'd you come into agreement with? Hell. Do you understand that? You're coming into agreement one way or the other. You get to choose. Why? Because you've been given dominion. You've been given authority. But sometimes the word we're speaking out, we're taking our authority and we're actually giving it to the devil. And we're coming into agreement with hell. With that authority. Because you have authority. Why? Because Jesus came to reestablish that and you've come into Christ. And now that you're in Christ, there's an anointing inside of you. And now you have authority. Why would you keep handing it off? Do you understand what I just said? You've got to understand something. You have incredible power in your tongue. How do you know? It's in the book, Proverbs 18. What? Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Isn't it amazing that most people quote that wrong? How do we usually quote it? Life and death are in the power of the tongue, brother. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. You don't know how many people come and tell me, well, pastor, the Bible says life and death are in the power of the tongue. I said, no, it doesn't. It doesn't say life and death are in the power of the tongue. It says death and life. Why? Because the natural man wants to speak death, and we have to train ourselves to speak life. Yeah. You've got to condition yourself to speak life. Come on, because over and over, come on, pick up the newspaper, watch the news, whatever you find. What do you got? Bad news. All the time, people talk about What do they talk about? You get six old people in a restaurant, guess what they're going to talk about? Every pain they have in their body. Come on. What are they speaking? Death. Death is natural to speak. You've got to train yourself to speak life. Why? Because you've come into the life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. We've come into life and we're going to speak life. Do you get it? Yeah. It's really strong in me. We condition ourselves for this stuff. We have to purpose in our own heart. Everything that goes on in our life, every decision we make, we're either coming into agreement with heaven or hell. And you've got to train yourself to come into agreement with heaven over and over. Yep. I'll never get ahead financially. Who'd you come into agreement with? Hell. Why? Because 1 John chapter 2 says, no, it's 2 John chapter 1 because there's only one chapter in 2 John. 2 John chapter, or chapter 1 because there's only one chapter, probably the second or third verse. I pray that you be in good health and what? Prosper, even as your soul prospers. And prosperity doesn't necessarily have to mean finances, but finances are colluded in it. I really don't believe God wants you living on barely get along street. I believe he wants you to be moving on up to the east side, to a deluxe apartment in the sky. <laughs> I'm sorry? Sure. 
He says, I want you to be in good health and prosper, even as your soul prospers. What's your soul? Your mind, your will, and your emotions. You know what God's doing? He's speaking to us. I love the fact that in Psalms 103, David is speaking to himself. Because I'm telling you, we have to learn to prophesy over our own life. You have got to prophesy over your own life. Why? Because life and death, death and life, all in the power of your tongue. You get to speak that stuff over yourself. I'm telling you, David, David says, bless the Lord, O my soul. My mind, my will, and my emotions. I'll be blessing the Lord with my mind, my will, and my emotions over and over and over. I'm going to speak blessing. I'm going to speak favor. I'm going to speak life. I'm going to tell you something. We've got to train ourselves to be speaking that. Then what happens? My soul's prospering. What's going to happen? Everything else around me is going to prosper because my soul's prospering. I'm telling you, you're going to live this thing. You'll get, you, you, I, I think this, I think you start prophesying over yourself. You start speaking life over yourself. You start living this thing and you will become so happy. You won't even be able to stand yourself. <laughs> Come on. Cause it's going to change you. It'll change the way you think what's happening. I'm changing the lens. I look at life through. I'm changing my perspective. I'm not living from down here, praying up there. I'm seated with him up here and my view changes. I gotta tell you something. There's a completely different view on this step than there is on that floor. It's a very different view. Our job is to change our view, to change our perspective, the lens we look at life through. You have dominion, you have authority. I'm so anxious for the day when the church quits being afraid of hell and hell starts to get afraid of the church. Every time we say things we say stupid stuff. My kids will never get right with God. You've just made a contract with hell. It's time to tear those contracts up. You're planting seeds. You need to pray crop failure on. I don't want those seeds to germinate. You have such power in your tongue. You have such power in that. Why? Because God gave us dominion and authority. And we've got to walk with that. I'm going to talk to you real straight and we're going to pray. But I really believe in my heart. Some of the things that we're talking about today are very, very powerful. You need to understand a couple of things. I've, I've settled in my heart. I honestly believe the fall of Lucifer. I'm sorry, you asked me something I said I would touch and I need to hit this. Jesus made the statement in Luke I think it's the same chapter we've been talking about. Yeah. In Luke chapter 10, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Yes. Right? I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Do you understand that when he, when, he, when he steps into that role of a deceiver, all of a sudden now, he's broke covenant with God. Yep. Right? So now, what happens is his fall was like lightning. In a moment. In a moment. Do you understand? In a moment. There was a thunder and lightning. In a moment, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. I'll mess with you now. Not that I haven't been all day. <laughs> as a young Christian, I, I, I was of the mindset that when a person messed up, they backslid immediately. I think backsliding is more of a process. Why do you say that? Because God refers to Israel as backsliding Israel, not backslidden Israel. 
And he uses that phrase. I think there are some things that you and I can do that immediately we are in a very, very bad place. But I used to think backsliding was like these keys and you hit the floor. Now, as I look at it differently, I think it's more like this paper and it's more of a process. And I think the enemy's trying to steal, kill, and destroy. What I want to talk to you about is this, and I think it's really, really powerful that we would look at this, is that we would understand something. The dominion that you carry, the authority that you carry, Satan's always going to be after that. Satan's always going to be after that. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy from you. But there's a place where you purpose in your heart, I'm not yielding that. I'm going to walk with my power. I'm going to walk with authority. I'm going to walk with dominion. I know who I am. So watch this. Remember the deacon in the church? Do you understand? I'd love to tell you that the pastor went back on Sunday night and set that thing all straight and everything was hunky-dory. He went back on Sunday night and started a war. Started a war. Was in that church for three years. You know how long the war lasted? Why? Because he took a stand against the enemy. Y'all follow that? Well, when I say the enemy, what am I saying? I'm saying the one that wanted the authority, but didn't have it. Because the people who were in charge gave the authority to the pastor, but the deacon was trying to assert that. Oh, this is good. So there was a battle over who's really in charge. Do you understand this? And the pastor could take his position and say, You're, this is the way it's going to be. And the church would respond to that. But the deacon would go around behind the scenes, blah, 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 and blah, blah, blah. What was he trying to do? Cause division against the one that's in authority. Oh, this is good, man. Y'all follow what I just said? When you understand your position of authority, it doesn't mean, oh, wow, now the devil's going to run and hide from me. No, it probably means this. There's going to be a war. Guess what? Here's how long the war lasts. Till the trumpet sounds. I'd love to tell you till next Tuesday. But I can't tell you till next Tuesday. I'm going to tell you we're at a battle. This thing's a war. I preached a couple weeks ago here in the house, and I, Paul speaks to the spiritual son Timothy war, good warfare. Fight the good fight. You're chosen to be a soldier. These are all verses about warfare. We're in a battle, folks. It's no doubt about it. Remember the title of the message was Bloody Swords and Dented Armor. Why? Because we're in a battle. I don't want to appear before the Lord with a shiny, bright suit of armor. I want my armor to have some dents in it because I'm not going to sit on the sideline and watch y'all fight. I want to join the battle. I want to be right in the front of this thing. And let's go ahead. You know what? I'm not afraid. Why? Because my armor's proven. God gave me armor. I'll tell you what he gave me. You know the first thing in the suit of armor that God gave you was what? Have your loins girt about with truth. When you think of armor, you're thinking of helmets and metal here and here. You don't think about your loins. But why does he say that? Because the first place the devil's going to attack you is truth. Yeah, right. <sighs> and you've got to keep truth on above everything else. You better keep truth on because truth holds the rest of that thing together. Yeah. That's a good word. Yeah. <sighs> Go ahead, Vicki. <laughs> Ron Canoli has a song. I don't even want to say the words. I just feel like I'm supposed to sing it or I'm going to throw up. Do it. (laughs) We've been deceived by the devil too long. We're going to tear the devil's kingdom down. Come on. And what he said was his. It's been ours all along. 
We're gonna tear that devil's kingdom down. Come on. <laughs> Come on. It's so fun to have a black lady in a white body. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> I love when she gets into that. <laughs> but but can you hear that? Did you hear the message in that? I mean, incredible words. What he said was his was ours all along. We're going to tear the devil's kingdom down. Come on. Yeah, that's the song that's going up to the high place that's going to tear the devil's kingdom down. Hand it to Shane and we'll get ready to close. I don't know what we're going to do. Man, I feel, I'm feeling Jesus in the house. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I, I loved your uh, sermon when you were talking about um, uh, yeah, the whole armor and, and wanting dented armor. And uh, I think... Uh, Jesus embraced that, considering when, uh, uh, after he died on the cross, when he came back in his glorified body, what did he still have? Mm-hmm. He still had his scars. Right. He still, and actually, and, and, and I think that's just the coolest thing, that when darkness tried to mark him, what darkness tried to mark actually turned into a beacon of light, yeah. where it then was a, a, a pinnacle of beauty and a pinnacle of uh, light, where darkness tried to mark and tried to scar Absolutely. And so, and, and, and then that is so then applicable to our entire lives because everything we've gone through is darkness constantly trying to mark it. But even though it was painful, even though it hurt, everything is meant to be actually a, a beacon of light and uh, a representation of pure beauty. Absolutely. Amazing phrase. So here's a word of encouragement for all of you that might be in a, in a fiery place right now. Some of you have heard of a pastor named John Kilpatrick. Um, pastor of a small church down in Pensacola, Florida, had a little revival. <laughs> Lasted about nine years. <laughs> okay. Probably the most amazing move of God on in North American soil, or at least in uh, United States soil. But God showed up in an amazing way. He was here when we were over in the old building. And one of the day, the one night, he preached one night, but the night that he preached, he said something that really spoke to my heart in an amazing way. The amount, of, the amount of hell you're going through today will determine the amount of blessing that's coming tomorrow. And I thought that was an amazing word. I'm going to tell you something. They said, watchmen, what of the night? And his cry was, the morning cometh. The morning cometh. You got to get that. You might be in a tough place right now. Understand this. You have authority of power. You've been called. You've been chosen. This the hand of God is upon you in a mighty way. You're growing. We're learning. We're understanding. We're coming to that place that Vicky was singing about where we're taking back the territory the devil stole. We're going to tear down the high places. God's doing amazing things. Here's the deal. You prepare your heart and you purpose in your heart and your soul. This is mine. I understand. I've got authority. I understand the dominion mandate rests on me. I'm going to probably come back and hit more of this tomorrow because it's really strong, this whole dominion mandate thing. But we've got to come to a place where we understand this and we understand who we're created to be. This is my created value. This is the purpose of heaven for my life. Jesus said I could be like him. Why don't I go after that?
Because for years I would have thought that was unattainable. But it's in the book. He wouldn't have put it in the book if it wasn't mine. So here's where we're at. I want to be more like him. How about you today? Is that a heart cry? Is that your desire? Is that where you are? We're going to pray right now. Just bow your head. Close your eyes. Father, I thank you. God, it's amazing. The word of God is truth and it never lies. So we stand in the truth of your word and we realize, God, that you have called us out to be a people chosen unto yourself. Peter called us a chosen generation. God, you looked at us and told us that we were ministers. We're a royal priesthood. Every one of us. Minister doesn't mean you have a license hanging on the wall. Minister means you have Jesus in your heart. Oh, God, we are called to be able ministers of this truth. You've given us a dominion mandate and you've called us to a place to walk with you. God teach us what that looks like we will stand in our authority we will understand who we are created to be and we will walk this thing out because it's the truth of who we are God I thank you no longer will hell intimidate us but God we are purposing in our heart right now that when we rise up in the morning the devil's going to go oh stink they're up and it's because he knows that we're beginning to understand who we are the devil is not afraid that we can quote scripture but he sure is afraid that we start to get a reality of our identity and who we are and who we're created to be so Father. Father, I just thank you that that's becoming real to us, God. And Father, those things which, which may have been in our head are now finding their place in our heart and they are establishing an order inside of us so that we know our identity and we know who we are and we are rising up to be the people you called us to be. So Father, we embrace that right now. We embrace our identity. We embrace the reality of the kingdom mandate. We embrace the reality of bringing the kingdom of heaven right here to the earth and establishing the order that Jesus came to set up. God, we embrace the call. We embrace truth. We embrace it today, God. And we say yes. We say yes. We say yes to who you called us to be. God, we will take this kingdom and we will launch forward with no reservation whatsoever because we will not be intimidated another day. Help us to understand who we are and who you created us for. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Bless you. We'll do it again tomorrow. Let's see where we go. Okay. <laughs>